So sort of he was called outside the pub. Someone's tried to hit him with an axe, missed. Someone else in our company, which I got accused of being me, stuck a big 12-inch carving knife in the side of him, which went straight into his side and narrowly missed his heart. Listen, I'm as good as the next man standing in front of me. If a man's prepared to do something to me, I will, I'm not going to just stand there and let it happen. I'm very capable of fighting. I, I, listen, anyone who knows me knows I can fight, but I've got some very, very big, powerful friends. But I, I, listen, anyone's going to come and stab me, I'm capable of stabbing that person. Someone's going to shoot me, I'm capable of shooting that person. So, like the old saying, kill or be killed. But no, one of the brothers and me had an altercation. I was with uh, Patsy Brindle, who the Brindle family, I was with him, and a guy called Peter Welsh, whose dad was Bobby Welsh from The Great Train Robbery. We was in a little pub, uh, La Rascas, where a lot of fights have got, funny enough, a lot of well-known, very well-known gangsters have had fights in there. And we was in there one night, and this guy's come in and pulled a blade out. And I thought, I'm not, I'm, I, I had something with me, I, I wasn't worried. Then he's gone off. He, he was worried because of the crowd I was in. A few weeks later, I seen him driving down the road in Beckenham High Street. Next thing you know, bang! All of those bang. So what he'd done is he'd driven around in his Merc Jeep, driven around, and it hit me about 30 miles an hour. So I've gone up about 15 foot in the air. So I'm on the floor, but I've got up. And as I'm trying to smash the window, he's got out the side, and they thought there was gunshots had gone off. So he'd done a runner. Next thing you know, there was a helicopter there, which was trying to take me in these on a stretcher because they said I had internal bleeding because I've been hit. They, they saw the, the, the CCTV. So he he went on to the run. He went on to the run. But again, like these so-called wannabe gangsters, there was a letter put into the court uh, before, before the judge and he got six months in jail. And when I think back, I really wish I would have stabbed him to death that night, that guy. But the thing is, then who, I would have probably been locked or detained up as a, as a child bloody murderer. Is that the first time you spoke about the abuse today? Never spoke about it before anyone else, so it's exclusive for Sean Atwood. I kept seeing, like, shadow people in the house. What? Apparently it was a dad saying he didn't want me in the house. I was in the bath one morning and I was like sitting there and the next thing you know there was a shadow standing there. I could oh. see it was a man. I literally jumped out of the bath naked. My dad says, grab the phone. I thought, who am I going to find? I'm going to laugh at yourself. But I think I couldn't go back upstairs. When, we, when I was doing it with the gangsters, listen, these gangsters would get out of their Rolls Royces and Ferraris and whatever, they'd all have their beautiful pinky rings on. They wouldn't have to worry about anyone coming and stealing their watches or rings. They'd sit there and drink. They, they were gentlemen. They, listen, it was like exactly what you see in the film, like the business. So it, it, that was it, this was how we lived, and unfortunately, obviously, that's why for me, crime is not an option. No, and I'd rather be dead than, than go back to that life or, or 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 be involved in that in any way, shape, or form. You demanded it. We have brought it to you. Jimmy Tippett, part two. <laughs> I'm losing my voice. It's a good job, Gen Zia, and thank you, haters. I think it's the haters that have got this one going I, so viral, isn't it? Yeah, thank you. Half of the people love him, half of them hate him. Like Marmite. And everyone we have on as a hater. And if we listen to the haters, we never have anyone. So that's where it is. Huge thank you for coming back so yes, soon, Jimmy. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Sean. And we're all going to start with a hard-hitting one today where your mate Tommy was owed 30000 for ease. And then he came to you, did he, for assistance? Yeah, well, what happened was we were sort of basing around Bromley, Beckenham at the time. And uh, there was a young guy called Paul and he'd been working with his Tommy. He'd been taking bits and pieces off him and, and the debt had been rising and rising and rising. And me and Paul had always been sort of 
We'd had a fight when we was 15, 16. I broke his nose outside the Ramblers Rest Pub in Chislers. And then from where then we were like sort of we sort of like enemies on the manor off on the plot. And then obviously we went on him one day, he lived at his dad's, we went up to his dad's, we went through, grabbed hold of him and bits and pieces, and then he kept promising to pay, payment never come. Then he got with a little firm out of Brixton and they, he was hanging around with them, thought he was a bit better than us. So one day there was a few of us uh, who all teamed up, uh, it's in the book, and uh, we went up on uh, to a place called the Lord Homesdale in Bromley, which was a, it's like a little sort of shitty old sort of like old fashioned pub. So sort of he was called outside the pub. Someone's tried to hit him with an axe, missed. Someone else in our company, which I got accused of being me, stuck a big 12-inch carving knife in the side of him, which went straight into his side and narrowly missed his heart. So with that, he's fallen, he's fallen on the floor. Then another member of our alleged gang sprays CS gas all over the pub to stop people coming in. It's to stop them coming out of the pub. It made them come running out of the pub because it's like affected their eyes. So we've all ended up going off. And then I remember, I, don't, I, I remember the old phone I had. It was 1996, I think it was, I believe. And uh, I had the old Sony Mars bar. Do you remember the old Sony Mars bar? <laughs> and, I, and I remember it was ringing and I didn't answer it. And, it, and then my mum kept ringing. She went, we just had all the armed police around here looking for you for an attempted murder. So then I was literally on the run. And then uh, I, ended up get, I got caught in Bermondsey in a run car. I remember this little Mercedes C180. Taken back to Towerbridge Police Station, and I give a dodgy name. It was I give my mate's bloody name, and what happened was it was terrible, really. But I give his name, twenty six to four sixty eight, his date of birth, and uh, the police come back to me about an hour later. They went, well, we got some good news and bad news. The good news is that we now know you're Jimmy Tippett. He said, but the bad news is your friend Paul, his nan's had a heart attack when we kicked the door through looking uh, to, to the address and the name you give us. So it was like, oh, I was, I was absolutely. But then. We were so young and ruthless, Sean, we didn't care. So, no, that, and then obviously it, the, the papers had hit CS Gas Gang Attack Pub. I'd been on the run in Bermondsey for about six weeks before I virtually got nicked. Then obviously I was nicked and charged with attempted murder, with Section 18 with intent. And uh, I was in custody for nine weeks before the kid, given his due, he, he refused to cooperate with the police and uh, all charges were dropped and I was released from prison. So what happened to your friend's nan? Uh, she survived and lived another 20 years. So oh no, but uh, he ended up a raging alcoholic. But uh, yeah, no, <laughs> he was Denise Van Outen's first boyfriend. Yeah, I remember he sold his story to the News of the World about uh, back in the 90s. But no, because we were, each and all of us had sort of like famous girlfriends in and around Bromley. It was like, but no, the police come to me and said, oh, uh, when when we was on that and they said, oh, we've we've seen people going to the hospital with baseball caps on and threatening Paul in, 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 a, in, a, in the hospital bed. But no, it's, it's everyone in sort of Bromley knows the story. But it's yeah, that was uh, Tommy never got his money back. Paul went on to get into boxing and try and be a bit of a harder man than he was. Were you phased with that charge, attempted murder? That Not age? at all. That's that's the thing which is worrying because it, you have no. It's just, I think it was so coked up and so going out with all these boys, and you're part of a dangerous little crew. And there was the biggest names in that little crew in, in South London. They, they 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 run South London, and it's like it was nothing fazed me then, Sean. This is what was dangerous. What's dangerous because that kid could have died that night, and then that would that would have meant me going from maybe at worst a five to a six to a seven, or to an IP to like a, a life sentence with a tariff. And that's all in the. This is what these kids now. I was I heard a story the other day. Some two kids had a row. One kid stabbed the kid. He's died. So that night, if they wouldn't have had that fight, two kids now doing 26 wrecks 
over someone getting killed, <gasps> over over a useless bloody argument. It's ridiculous. So, so th- th- there's something you wanted to talk about, Dan, that you've not talked about before. And because of the nature of it, we have to warn the viewers, it's, it's going to be harrowing. And also, we've got a legal requirement on this channel. Before you can say these things, do you waive your anonymity? Yeah, of course I do, yeah. And this is what happened to you at age 11, was it? I feel that obviously I was going to mention this in my books, but obviously my mum and my mum and dad was alive at the time, and I didn't want to bring well not shame on the family, but it's a very very bad uh, episode what happened in my life. Obviously at eleven years old, I was a I would say I was a nice boy. I was I was I used to play with little Star Wars figures. I, we had our Yorkshire Terriers. We had horses. We had a lovely little life. I I hadn't experienced anything bad in life. I'd been sheltered from everything, like wrapped up in cotton wool. And uh, my dad ended up doing some business with a very, very, very rich guy. And he had like a very young girlfriend. And uh, they had a big mansion. And my dad was doing business with them. And we'd been out, we, we, oh, we ended up flying out to Portugal. They had a big mansion in Portugal. So we was out in Portugal. And then I remember being in a car. And this guy touched me in a way that it wasn't normal. But because being 11 years old, you're going through puberty, you don't know what's going on in your head. And it, and it, it, it is... It, it affected me more than you could ever possibly know because it it got to a stage where I saw this money and it, it's like, I don't want people to think, because oh, I'm a flash fucker, but it, it, it wasn't, because you see this guy driving like Lamborghinis or, and having a great big mansion. As an 11-year-old boy, because you, your mum and dad haven't told you, you don't know what's wrong and what's right sometimes. And this is how children are caught at a certain age. And obviously it went, and then one day I remember he had some Rottweilers and, uh, and, and they, they just had a puppy. And my mum, and I really, really wanted the Rottweiler. And I said, my mum, I could probably shit. And they went, why don't he stay over? And I said, no, mum, no, I don't want to stay over. I don't want to stay over. I don't want to stay over. We was at his big, big mansion down in Essex. I said, no, no, no. My mum went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll pick you up tomorrow. I went, no, 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 no. I was remember really, really adamant that I didn't want to stay. And she was like, and I remember thinking, I hate you. I hate you for, because I, 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 I sensed something was going to go wrong. And I was in one of these rooms and they had these uh, like lockable, you know, like where, where you lift the, the latches up on the doors. Mm. And I remember sort of putting an elastic band trying to, and I remember him and the girlfriend come in and try to do things to me. Him and the girlfriend, who was like a young sort of like, she was like a, a, a Swedish girl, very, very pretty people. But it was like, it was like really weird. But I mean, I, I remember there was like some sort of ceremonial sort of like swords or like little knives on the wall. I was trying to get one of them. And I remember fighting with all my heart, but it was like the worst night of my life. And for me as an 11 year old boy, and then to hear my dad weeks later, Say, oh yeah, yeah. I just, I was like, always oh, earwigging at the door, you know, like, and I was, and I was sitting there, and I remember that going, yeah, yeah. So I won't say his name because it could still be a criminal matter. And he's, he went, yeah, yeah. So and so's asked me to go down there. He's asked me to bring a thing, meaning, meaning a shooter. And my dad didn't really, well, he didn't get involved in everything, but he went, he went, I'm going to get Lee, which was my dad's uh, stepson, to take it down. And I remember my dad coming back late that night. He went, my mum, this ain't I don't trust about him. It's like he's half tried to get me nicked. He said because. When I'm driving down in my car, he said, the police have, have come on me on the motorway all over my car. He said, but the thing was in, in the other car. But then when we got down to his gaff, he wasn't there and come out with an excuse, blah, blah, blah. He said, some, he said, he said, no, nah, no, nah, there's definitely something hooky here. Yeah. So it's like he'd trying to get my dad nicked because he thought I was maybe going to say something to my dad. So I never, never delayed this information. And then what happened was this guy ended up going, just vanishing. And it was like, and then it was like a relief. But then after that at school, Sean, I was like, 
I went from being a real good-natured kid. I wasn't really into fighting and bits and pieces. But then I remember having a fight at school once and this kid, he got the better of me. He was about four years old. I thought, and I, but I, it, I, I thought, no, I was festering. All the all classroom, but I know I'm going to get this kid. I'm going to get this kid. I waited after school and it was like a broken half house brick. I waited and I remember smashing him to pieces with his house brick. But my mum was in a, she had a little Suzuki Jeep and she passed out. She was like, she was like shocked to see like me, like this little curly blue-eyed boy doing this like damage to somebody. And it was like, but I remember now, that was all what was stemming from then. And I believe what happened when I was 11 did turn me into a naughty boy and did also change my way of, when I left school, getting involved with criminals, drugs, because I would have never touched drugs. I know how strong I was as like that. I used to, we used to sit and watch John Craven's news round in certain lessons <laughs> and see the dangers. Of, and I was, I was totally one of those people who would never get involved, but I did. And I believe that's all down to what happened to me when I was 11. And, and then obviously when I, me, me and my mum, we didn't talk for a lot, lot. We used to have sporadic moments where we wouldn't talk. She's a very strong lady. She wouldn't suffer any nonsense. And then when I think I was 26, 27, I'd come out of prison and uh, she went, she went, no, nah. she was looking at me with hatred. She went, just like, how you live your life is just disgusting. She went, drugs and doing this, robbing people, blah, blah, blah. And then she went, and then I went, would you know something? Blah, blah. And I, I screamed out the person's name and she just looked shocked. And she went, and she showed me a picture with me at that house. And she went, do you know something? I knew there was something. She said, that's that afternoon, isn't it? I went, yeah. She went, and it was like, my mum was seething. I could see she was filming. She didn't tell my dad, because my dad would my dad would have just found him and, and my dad would have either be either gone, either gone simple as that. But uh within a few weeks, uh my mum said, You're never gonna guess what happened. We've just we've had some news back from Spain. He's been uh run over and he's really, really bad. It looks like he's not gonna make it. She said, But it's a face so like but it was like my mum was capable of extreme, but she had, she knew, and remember every gangster would come in that house and it was my mum's friend and she was friends with their wife. So yeah, it wouldn't put it past my mum to have, to have done that, but I, I can't say for sure, but no, it's, uh, but for me now, it's something which I hold very close to my heart. And obviously I've been with a partner who's been through similar stuff and it, and it, and it, it, it gets to the core of your heart. It's a, it's a, because it does change your life and people, it changes in more ways than one because it makes you, when you're growing up out of puberty, it, it that fucked my whole childhood up, the way I see it. Because you're not sure whether you like boys or girls, because you don't know what's wrong and right. And because they've taken advantage of, that's the most special time in your life when, you, when you're going through puberty. So for someone to actually do that to me and everyone thinks I'm flash, I've got the best looking bird and I'm all this. There's so much more to me. And a lot of people I noticed, I do read do read through the comments. And a few people said, we actually, all we heard about is Jimmy's dad, he's dad, 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 he's dad, this. But I have got a story and that is my story. But the thing is, obviously having a very famous dad, it's very hard to get out of that shadow. But it's only now that he's died that I'm obviously going into acting. I've, I'm finding some bits and pieces I want to do. And I want to try and help children who have probably been through similar experiences to me and try and deter, deter them from crime. And because it's not a... Or, or, and because you don't know what people are going through at home. And it, and to be true, when I, when I hear some of the stories from other friends and we've sat and we've had like breakdown, a lot of people have gone through sexual sexual uh, abuse. It's the, it's the root yes. cause of crime. Well, listen, you hear from very hard men. Look at Lenny McLean, Ray Hill. These, these people have been through it. And it doesn't, doesn't mean because you're hard or because you're weak. Listen, the, and, 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 so, and some people, these have been the closest people to you. Some, sometimes it's people's own parents. And that's why the government needs to lock these people up because they just give them little slaps. But you, on I know you said something on the Dodge Do yeah. Dodge Woodall one. Yeah. It's like the, they're quick enough to come around and put your door through if they think there's a load of weed growing in the in the loft. Yeah. But when it's, I know for a fact that 
I spoke to somebody who I know. She's a woman. She's a police officer. And she works within this system. When I told her something, I knew that a, a girl I knew had been sexually abused by her stepfather. She went, there's nothing we can do. I said, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? I said, I'm telling you. I said, I've got, I've got this recording. What this person's told me. I'm, I, what? So she went, oh, no, look, you can make a, a thing as a third party. But I said, you know, Sonic, but it's a little child whose life's been ruined because of what someone's done. And I've had this. Stuff. So, but you work for that. And I was just like, and it's, when I heard that, Sean, to you, that's why I'm so passionate about it. But it, it did change my life. And it did, but unfortunately, it did turn me, it turned me on the wrong sides because my sister had never had anything like that. And she ended up becoming, she left school. She, she was a ruthless child. She was on LSD, drugs, everything. But my mum took her to the side. She ended up with a job working for Barings Bank in, in, in Wall Street as a stockbroker. She went right to the top. And she's like now a very, very successful business lady. So I feel that I'm, I, I, my life I lost out on with the crime and the drugs and all the wild parties and prison, that was down to the sex. But I, I know that definitely changed my life because school was never the same for me after that. And were you aware of any other victims? No, because no. Uh, I've done due diligence and research on this guy and it does, it's, it's no point in coming forward now. Obviously, I, do you know what I say? I'm not going to write a book because I ain't got a but it's something maybe I would like to, to go and if I can help other children or, or help people deter them from crime because no one actually knows what, what, what when you're a child, you're, you're innocent, aren't you? You, you, you're, you shouldn't have to go. What I went through, and I remember that Saturday night, it, it, it's part of you, it's like, it's like going to court and, you know, standing in front of the judge, Sean, you can relate to this. And it's like, you know, and you hear that sound and it's like echoes around you. And it's, it's like that horrible, horrible feeling knowing you're going to go downstairs into that van and off to prison. It's like, that was, that night what I went through was like that at times a hundred with a fear factor of like people coming through your door. And it, it was just, it was, and when I think back, I really wish I would have stabbed him to death that night, that guy. But the thing is then who, I would have probably been locked or detained up as a, as a child bloody murderer. But, but this it's my friend was saying to me last night, funny enough, a girl got uh, attacked at a party the other day in York and uh, the girl stabbed the guy. Good. But the mm. girl's now sitting in the woman's part of Durham's prison, on remand, exactly. lost her two children because uh, as a section eight of intent. The whole system protects the predators. It's it really pathetic. Does. It does. So, so what, what is more important to the government? Protecting kids and women or doing drug busts and all this other bullshit handing out speeding tickets? What is the purpose of the police? There is no there's good cops out there and they join and then they get sent these orders from on top. To go get, they go to go and get a rest and to, to do, do people for not wearing a seatbelt. And yeah, so they get a... Yeah. Revenue generation. There's money in drug arrests. Of course it is, because then business. they can do confiscations. Pocker, proceeds of crime act. Yeah. I love a bit of controversy. And talking about that, um, we you mentioned earlier about the comments on your last podcast. Well, do you know what it is? I, I mean, obviously, I, I did go into the story in about 2019 when I'd done a bit of business with the, with the arseholes in Brighton, uh, Buster. I won't mention his surname, but yes, his nickname, Buster. Absolute rat. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, when I was, uh, when I got uh, arrested in the 17th of December, which I believe was set up by another guy called Gareth, another a rat. Uh, he's, he's definitely not wired up right, this one. And uh, he was, uh, so I got arrested. Uh, I've, I've done a thing on the phone for you to show you. So they arrested me on the armed robbery. I got remanded in custody to Lewis Prison. Uh, funny enough, uh, 
you had a guest on called Carlon, the big black guy. Carlon, yeah, yeah, Carlon. He just messaged me on Instagram the other day. It was good to hear from him, really, actually. Yeah, very intimidating character, but me and him gelled and he didn't really talk to anyone else apart from me and Lewis. So no, we got on really well. But no, with this uh, guy, he's, because uh, I've mentioned him on one of the podcasts, he's got in touch with uh, Liquid Bullet, told him he was a friend of uh, a very well-known gangster in uh, Essex, which he's not. And a friend of mine called Terry from Canning Town. And uh, I've got, they sent me the messages. And he went, if you don't take this thing down, because obviously I've exposed him. And he's trying to expose things about me which aren't true. And uh, his message page and said, oh, he's trying to say about all different girls and things like that. But he's, he's like an obsessed, crazy stalker. He looks like bloody an old version of Ken Barlow, who, th who <laughs> thinks he's like one of the chaps, but he's an absolute arsehole, you know. But I'm glad that I can get my five minutes to fucking say what I want to say. <laughs> but no, he's he's trying to cause me lots of problems. But uh, funny enough, a few people on the on the comments have actually exposed him anyway. Mm. He he grasped up a guy called Anton, a well-known face in Brighton who's a lifer. Anton went back into prison in 2018 on a recall because obviously being told that he was in this Gareth said he was in danger of his life. Anton's in prison. I've met him on the landings in Lewis. Even your fucking pal's probably here. I said, he's no fucking pal of mine. I said, he's not wired up right. I said, he's a fucking loop. loop. And uh, so, yeah, then it, they've all... So then I've got arrested down to the, the slags in Brighton. Uh, they've set me up, went back to prison because they've done a statement to say that I'd uh, broke into a club, held a gun to their head with a big black guy, which wasn't Carlon, because uh, he was in prison at the time. But uh, no, so yeah, so we... Uh, I had so my, my money. My money took off me because I still had a benefit figure outstanding. And uh, when I got out, the police said, "Oh, uh, we'd like. Uh, we, we now know that it was lies. Would you be able to uh, help us in prosecuting them for perverting the course of justice?" I said, "No, because why would I?" I said, "You knew that I hadn't robbed that club. You still told my probation officer that you thought there was a gun involved, and you recalled me to prison for that. And I lost four months of my, my life, which was very important." So no, I'm not going to help you. So then this buster's then told him that he thinks I'm going to go down there. He lives on the, the marina in Brighton and the police have put all cameras near where his boat was to make him feel safe. But then now, since the podcast, now they've now been trying to say that there's a contract on me life and they're going to get me killed. Though. Over the, this, this is the same people who went to the police and then obviously, it's, Sean, it's, this is where obviously these podcasts, it, it blows out. Because some of the comments were um, calling you a grass, for example. Yep. What would you say to that? She, this was all down to Gareth saying that uh, he was putting a bit of paper around saying that uh, someone who got killed. Uh, well, so, listen, there was a story. Somebody got shot dead at a party. The guy shot him from behind uh, in the head. He was, unar he was unarmed. What would that... So if somebody... Just say, I mean, because it's, it's a legal case I'm not allowed to talk about. But if, say, somebody did give evidence in that case... Well, someone's gone into a party, Sean, and you're with your friend and he's got shot in the head from behind. Sure, is that is that a nice person? No. If you kill somebody from behind and they're unarmed and you're crazy, there's always this why people speculate about something. People are quick to say someone's this or, I mean, look at Dave Courtney. They slag Dave Courtney off. He's a grass grass. But who is he grass? No, people are very quick to throw that word about. And there is no honour amongst thieves. I said this on the Dodge Woodall podcast. There is absolutely no honour amongst thieves. When I was in Belmarsh, have you ever been in Belmarsh? Sure. No. You got in the where you have the visits, you got like it's like a, a big circle. So you have your ACAT visits and they close the curtains. When I was in, I was on the ACAT unit. Uh, well, sorry, not the ACAT unit, the house block four, which predominantly all the ACATs were on. I saw a good proportion of London's major, major villains having visits with police officers and then the curtains were getting drawn. Mm. And they'd just come off the book or come out of the unit. 
And then one day I remember one face, I'm not gonna mention his name. He went, Oh, Jim, 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 I was only meeting that guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, like <laughs> I thought, listen, so I've seen it with my own eyes, and, and we hear the stories and we know what goes on. But this, yeah, so that's uh oh, so that one. Yeah, well, of right. course. He was only meeting him because he was bringing him a pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And he happened to be going up for an appeal at the time. <laughs> I mean, it's good to get negative comments sometimes because it um, obviously ups the algorithm. But there Listen, was... yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Yeah, listen, but they're, they're keyboard warriors, aren't they? I don't, listen, I would reply to each and every one of them, but you know, I haven't got the time. And, and the, ones who write, the ones who write out the most are obviously jealous haters and... Because there was a few, and I'm sorry if it's sensitive to, to ask, um, was regarding, they said that you are just repeating your father's story. Well, this is my story, which I'm saying. It's, it's my story along the way. And obviously I can't help having the dad who I've had. He's opened a lot of doors, but also closed a lot. It's so it's obviously I, I, my dad doesn't wake me up and change, change my clothes. I live my own life each and every day. He's, he's helped me a lot in life, but he's also made me stumble a lot. Exactly. And obviously I would never, ever hold what happened to me with the sexual abuse against my parents because they were never, ever to know what happened. And, and I think my mum did feel an awful lot of blame throughout her later years because of what happened because she saw that my life had ruined. But obviously since my mum's died, I've become a stronger person and now it's my time to fully live my life. And would you say that, I was just looking at your notes then, that led to the depression and effects on your mental health? Yeah, 100%. I think it was a long time in prison. I mean, and this was... A lot in the 90s, you didn't really didn't, didn't have TVs and they think what they got now. You had ra battery radios. And when the batteries run out, that was it. You had to wait until canteen day and go and get your, get your batteries. But no, I think, in, and it's the, the come down of the drugs and it's, 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 it's your, your emotions are running all over. It's, I mean, my, my certain things happen. I mean, my dog died once and she was loving my life, my dog, my Rottweiler. Didn't really cry, but because I, I didn't want to cry. It was like, my emotions were totally, it was, and that's why I suppose I, I was doing the bad things I was doing because you have no empathy. You've got no emotion to what you're doing. It's a defence, isn't it? Yeah, it's a defence mechanism, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it won't happen again. And, uh, yeah, and it's so, that is, it's, yeah, that's what, and yeah. people don't realise, I mean, a lot of, I've, I've seen a lot of people kill this, like take overdoses and kill themselves, like hang themselves and it's, Horrific, but people don't get, as you said, they don't get the help they need. We just watched a really sad movie about it, didn't we? What, yeah. Do you what that was called? It's about a care home, wasn't it? Was it in Wales or somewhere? It was in Essex. Essex, was it? Yeah, it was somewhere in East London. And the guy was about, say, he grew up and he became a bouncer, but most of his mates who got abused in the home killed themselves. It was really sad, wasn't yeah, it? Abuse, but there's a lot of stuff what, what goes on what people don't understand, Sean, and it's only sort of like, I mean, obviously I've had a, a police officer reach out to me who's quite high up in West Yorkshire and has asked me to work with children uh, in schools and bits and pieces. Mm. And to be honest, I, I would do that because it's, it's, it's giving something back and it's positive. I'm trying to distance myself with everything negative in my life yeah. now because it's, there's too much negativity out there. And obviously when I see these comments on these and you think, have people really got the time to go for, I mean, I remember saying something about my dad and James Cagney. So I went, no, it was 1973. I'm sorry, I've got four years out. I, Mom, you're asking me a question. I'm not going to sit there and pause. I'm trying to give you as much content as I can and say, oh, was it, oh well, it happened in that such and such a date. My, my dad weren't a liar. It's, everyone knows who my dad was. It's, it, it's, unfortunately, I've been there, seen it, got the T-shirt and written the book. And now I'm telling my stories on the podcast. That happens a lot with people. It's so long ago, they say the wrong year. 
And the comments are like, look, he's a liar. He said, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. His, oh, like, his my, entire my, my story must be made My mum was counting some money out and shit. But the thing is, I said, oh, shit, about half a million pounds. It probably was. It was probably about two and a half million pounds. But I, 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 I don't remember how much was there. All I remember is that when I went to school about quarter to eight, she was counting $100 bills and she was still counting them at probably four o'clock when I got home. So I, I can't remember exactly what money was there. But these people are going, oh, no, 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 no. It could have been true because it was so-and-so, so-and-so. Busy bodies. But no. So, so before you start, um, you also mentioned, obviously, you work with the police, but you mentioned something about a stalker. This is this Gareth, the guy from Brighton. He got moved police protection over to Kent. Absolute. He's not quite wired up right, but he's been messaging Paige, been messaging everyone on my social media. But what he doesn't realise is I've got a lot more followers and a lot more uh, supportive friends than he has. So... Obviously, I ruined him on the Liquid Bullet uh, podcast and exposed him for when he grasped Anton up. But obviously, Anton spent 18 months in jail, but he's not a nice person either. So, But he still don't deserve to... He told the police a lie. They both had a fight. They said it was like handbags at dawn in bloody Brighton. Uh, two fucking kids not capable of holding their hands up. And then obviously, then, then he's, <laughs> when he grasped him and said he's in fear of his life, the police moved... Sussex police moved him down to... Uh, Kent, so in Broadstairs, then he's working as a barber, like earning £10 a cut, when there's me out enjoying my life, going bloody here, there and everywhere with all the beautiful girls. He's like one of those geezers sitting there seething like some old bloody sad sod. Jealous. Oh, je je jealousy is like, it pours out of every pore of him. He's no, he's one of those sort of people, if you're sitting in a bar, he'll walk off with someone's bar, he'll drink because he can't, he, he, he's like an old miser, can't spend a penny. I must admit, I do look at your Instagram and I see all your posts are very glamorous. You go to some really top-notch places around London. But that's what life's about, it's about having memories. And the thing is, I'd, ra I'd, rather, I'd rather die I'd rather buy the, die the poorest man in the graveyard but with plenty of memories. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So in Belmarsh then, who was Bobby Gold and what was it like having Bo him as a cellmate? Oh, Bob, Bob was, Bobby. Bob was uh, Charlie Cray's co-defendant. Bob was the one who handed the cocaine over to the police. Uh, so yeah, no, Bob was lovely, but Bob had just come off. Bob was nicked with Ronnie Fields and Charlie Cray. He'd been on the double A cat unit. So in 1997, he'd just been moved over to normal location. So me and Bob, so you remember, he was showing me his paperwork for the case and stacked up to here. And even he said, Charlie's problem was that night at the party, was, Charlie was always, Charlie's thing was to try and get a monkey out of someone, you know, like then Charlie could live the, pull his monkey out and like buy the drinks and look the part for the night. But he, Charlie never was never a drug dealer. He was never nothing like that. He was the most biggest gentleman you could ever meet, Charlie. But Bob, Bob said, Bob was the one who went and bailed the, the couple of kilo of Charlie him and Ronnie and then they, so they was out of pocket anyway but they were just trying to do it to try and have them over for some money but then it ended up fucking failing and it ended up being police <laughs> but oh sorry while we're on the subject of that uh, I, had a, I had a comment uh, from uh, Veronica Richardson Charlie Richardson's wife I've now I've gone up with Charlie and obviously I mentioned a comment which she took to a bit of heart and I did say that I would apologise obviously uh, I said that all gangsters are leeches you know like and, and blah 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 and so no, that could have been put out the wrong way. When I meant that, I meant a lot of the younger gangsters. With Charlie Richardson, I'd just like to reiterate, re sorry, he was very, very good to me, Charlie. He was like a second dad. He'd done an awful lot for me. If ever I was in a if ever I had a problem, Charlie would always back me up. And obviously Veronica, I know very, very well. And her son Lee, who passed away quite a few years ago, he was a very, very good friend of me to me and looked up to me. So I would just like to say that, no, I didn't mean that with like, meaning Charlie Richardson. Charlie Richardson got the utmost respect for and he was very, very fond of my dad. And uh, no, I've got a lot of respect for Charlie and I never thought or was meaning anything like that. 
What was the beef between Soldier and Johnny about in Belmarsh? Well, Johnny, Johnny had grasped me up. This Johnny Johnson, he was a well-known grass from South London, and uh, he'd set me up that morning when I got nicked on the because he knew I was wanted for the attempted murder, and I was also in the ring ring car at the time. So Soldier was from uh, he was a, a black guy from Brixton. When I went to bring Johnny onto the landings, we was in Housework 3, which was called Beirut because he never had any pillars. It was like a war zone. <laughs> Johnny saw me at the bars and tried to think, but then soldiers trying to grab him and pull him into the like showers there and, 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 and give it to him. But that was just like, those was the 90s and it was, it was like wild in there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're based in Surrey, in Guildford. Yeah. And you hit, hit up the sleepy village of Farnborough at one point. <laughs> Farnborough? Yeah, it? there was um, a safe. You were dating a bird called Jessica, and she said, "Oh, no, that's Farnborough in Kent." Oh, Kent. It's Kent, yeah, yeah. That was oh, that's, so. That's okay. near Alpington, near Alpington, near, near Bromley. Okay, yeah. near Bromley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did how did that robin go down then? Oh, that was quite a long time ago. We actually, we actually, got, we got Nick got Nick for that. The two guys I sent in to get this safe, I've put it on this. You know, like the trolley. You know, like the trolley. What you use to get the safe? Yeah. They went to put it into a car, but the car was so old. The, the safe fell straight through the chassis <laughs> and ended up on the floor. So they've had to leave the car there and do a run up. Oh. And then obviously all the DNA in the car. And it was like it was like the fucking Keystone Cops. It was oh. like this is this is when you're young. Some things go off, but some things don't. Remember, so my godfather owned a scrap metal yard called the King of Lee and Lucian. Yeah. So we used to get loads of stolen cars, and each day we'd be going there, we'd get an hundred quid a car, hundred quid a car, hundred quid a car. So the more cars we got, sometimes people would we'd be seen with shopping, jump straight in the car, and just drive straight to the scrap yard, put it straight through. And I was getting like, so if whenever I was skin, I was just going around robbing cars because I would go and get like, I could go and put twenty cars in a day. But as soon as you got like six, seven cars, you got your seven hundred quid there, you'd be out to play, you'd be out drinking and partying, <laughs> and then it'd be just. But we were constantly just robbing, mm. constantly nicking anything we could, and we got the Franks. Uh, Shannon swindled Nissan. Yeah, yeah, no, because some people were putting about the Queens, you know, about uh, the guy I mentioned. He, the guy was name was Michael Telling, who cut his wife's head off. His name was Michael Telling. So obviously a lot of people say, oh, that, well, that story don't add up. Yet. Well, his name was Michael Telling. He was a uh, sole heir to the Jewhurst butcher's chain. And he was obviously part of something to do with the Queen. But at the time, there was another guy in there called Frankie Shannon, who had swindled Nissan out of 55 million. But he was the one I told you to have his, like, he done 55 million. 55 million. This is back in 93, 1993. Did he get nicked? Yeah, yeah, he was in Ford Prison. I mean, these yeah. are all the people. There was uh, Ronnie Knight's son who was in there at the time. Uh, Ronnie had, he's, he's, he had his illegitimate son there, Graham Knight. There was uh, Eddie Berry, a fighter out of a sort of Bromley way, who was a well-known face. You had Jimmy Holmes, another big face from Brixton there. There was, there was some big, big names there at the time. Yeah. So we've got loads of questions coming from the viewers. SJ wants more Lenny McLean stories. More Lenny <laughs> McLean stories, right. Yeah. Lenny, well, he would always, he, Lenny used to go up Shapes Gym, which was owned by Reg Parker, his promoter. So with Lenny, I'd always, I'd always go up there. And he, but Lenny, I remember even as a kid, when I first went up the, the Thomas and Beckett, I was about, I was about 12 when I first went up there with my dad. And it was like, it was all the Ahmed, Nosha Power, you had Columbo, you had Rayo up there. My dad's friends, Eddie Richardson would come up there. And uh, it, for me, it was the best thing was up there. It was I mean, I was more fascinated with him, but there was a guy, uh, Adam West, who played the Batman in oh, the 60s. Adam he was dating a woman called Beryl Gibbons, who was the publican at the pub, and she was a, one of Britain's first boxing managers. So she was having an affair with Adam West. Oh. And he was in the bar one day, and I was like, oh my God, daddy, it's like Batman, it's Batman. 
But then obviously you go upstairs and you've got Lenny who's like the fucking Hulk. And I'd be like sitting there, you go, right, Jim, no fucking slouching here, son. Put those gloves on. And the gloves, <laughs> I remember, were so sweaty. And I'm OCD. And they were stinking. And go, right, get them laced up. Get on that bag. Come on, I want to see you punch that bag. I want 200 punches. And I'd be sitting there, fucking, you'd have to wait for this fucking clock to go like the time bell going round again before it rung. And he'd go, no, 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 no slouching. And he'd sit there watching it. But no, he was, Lenny was a larger than life character. But obviously, whenever he was in the, on the doors in London, Always looked after me. If if not, say fuck me nights up because obviously then he wouldn't let me he'd go. Are you not hanging around with them herberts? Come sit in here, get me a bottle of champagne, and then take me all the way home after. Take me to Forest Hill. I remember Forest Hill, South London. We're gonna have like a steak and chips or something or a kebab or something. And he'd like he'd sit there and he'd eat. Oh god, he'd go. Go on, give us another bit of slice. Go on, give us another slice. Don't be fucking shy. He, he, was, just, he was like mad, mad. He could just, but he didn't drink. So he'd have a can of seven up with it. It's quite funny. Like he'd have his lemonade or something with it. It was like, so you see my dad, that was always out on the piss, but then he didn't drink. Did you see him in action? No, I saw him grab people and 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 I've seen him hit the hit the, hit the bag up, up the back here and that and he's quite a powerful powerhouse. But uh, his son, Jamie, had a heart attack the other day. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. It was, like, it was on social media. Apparently he'd just come out of the gym and uh his heart stopped, went over the wheel of his, the steering wheel of his car, but a passerby found him and done CPR oh. on him. But he, up until about a few weeks ago, he was in intensive care, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Unfortunately. Yeah, so I, I hope he gets better. He's also added here about Lenny McLean in Lockstock. Well, Lenny was in Lockstock with my dad's friend. My dad's best friend is a guy called P.H. Moriarty, who yeah. played Hatchet Harry. Hatchet. Yeah, so Paul yeah. was Paul was my dad's... Well, up until the day my dad died on the 20th of October 2016, Paul used to visit him every single week. And I remember once there was a guy manhandling my dad in the care home in Bickley and Paul caught, grabbed a hold of him and he had like he had a glass eye, Paul. And uh, what happened was he was on a building site years ago and a hook went straight into his uh, thing. He just... And then he just got... he just done the film Scum with Ray Winston. He played the prison officer. Mm. And then he went on to do uh, Jaws, no, Longer Friday, we played Razors, and he'd done Jaws 3. And he'd done like a few, but Paul's still, Paul's still alive now. He's just done the Rise of the Foot Soldier film as well. Oh, there's another one out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't, I, to be honest with you, <laughs> I think I've watched one. They're not my sort of films. Uh, so when was Lockstock filmed? Lockstock was filmed all around the borough yeah. in South London. Uh, and that was filmed, for, you know, if we go near Borough Market, where they had the cab station and all that, that was all filmed around the borough, but uh, that was uh, 1996. Um, how accurate was that with how life was? It was a comedy. It was a comedy, wasn't it? But yeah. the, the card game, the card game is like, yeah, because my dad obviously had things called spielers and they're illegal gambling clubs where people play Kaluki, Podka, 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 and uh, they would take, they wouldn't pay the tax on their bets back then because the taxes are all done now, aren't they? So they would, they would take the, the, the Rather than go to a betting shop where you'd have to go and pay your tax extra, they would take all the bets at the at the spielers. So you'd have all the people from the market and all the people come up playing cards and losing all their money. And my dad obviously run the spill, so he'd take his house money and he liked playing cards himself. And obviously where they my dad done a film called Number One, which was with Bob Geldof, uh Ray Winston, and they filmed at my dad's spieler in and it was all around Lucian. But the film became a bit of a flop because oh. it was like a similar to Lockstock, but there was Bob, Bob Geldof in it, Alfred Molina, who played Octopussy in Spider-Man, Alison Steadman, Ian Jury, Mel Smith, Phil Smith. There was uh, Eric Richards from The Bill. It was like big, big, massive like cast, but the film just sort of flopped. I mean, that's a good cast, yeah. How'd it oh, some great people. Well, I'll send you the link to it, but it's called Number One. It was, set, it was it made in 1986. It was set around uh, Lucian, which is like my, where I was brought up. Was that before or after your dad had the situation in the restaurant with Bob Geldof? 
Uh, no, 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 that was that was with Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. No, my dad was good friends with Bob. My dad become good friends with Bob Geldof. Although he said he was a bit tight. What about David Bowie? Was he in the mix? No, no, he wasn't in the mix. No, Ian Jury. Ian Jury. I loved Ian Jury. He had polio, didn't he? From Ian Jury, the blockheads. Yeah, he plays. He plays a villain in it. He plays a villain in it. Yeah, he's got a really bright, unusual voice. But he was a great character. So yeah, how was Bob Geldof? Was he? Yeah, he was nice. Yeah, he was like, because remember, he's around all these bloody thugs, and he's like, then my dad's friend was there, but a guy called Bobby Ramsey who used to be with the Cray Twins, and then you had Paul Moriarty, PH Moriarty, who was also in it. He played Mike the Throat, so he didn't speak properly in it. But no, it was a good, I got, as a kid, I was going up there watching them all film it and all that. And it was guys, great fun. So we got another question from SJ here. Do you have any stories about Mike Reed, R.I.P. No, my, my dad. Oh, yeah, sorry, I do. My dad. My dad was telling me years ago when he went in. Uh, my dad knew Mike Reed because he had. A, my dad had a club called the Studio in a place called Sydenham, and he'd met Mike and he took him over to meet the Cray Twins one time over in East London. And uh, my dad said Mike was getting all like cheeky and bravado as he did, and uh, he was telling a joke. And Ronnie Cray went to uh, glass him with his like he, with his like whiskey or his, his brandy, what he was drinking. My dad sort of grabbed Ronnie's wrist. And said, oh, you, you can't do that. He's with me. And my dad said, with Ronnie, you could see that he really, really was pissed off that my dad had grabbed him and was telling him no, because people didn't do that to Ronnie Cray. But my dad said, after that, that night, he said, Sonny, I'm not, he said, I'm not the parent of Spark out. He said, but you are, he said, I had to sit there and watch him all night because he's the sort of person who would try to do something after or do it from behind. He said, when Reggie, you could talk to, he was, Reggie was lovely. And Charlie was just a gentleman, but with Ronnie, he was on so much medication and he could switch at any time. But that's it. He didn't f I didn't feel right with Ronnie around him. Wow. Next question is from Red Shaper. Stories about the gangster Eugene Carter. I wouldn't say Eugene was a gangster, but no, Eugene, <laughs> Eugene. Well, Eugene, Eugene's uncle was a guy called Johnny Carter. And Johnny Carter was a stereotype gangster if you look if you look at the valentine's murder squad he, he would look he wouldn't go out a row on you know like with all like Maya Lansky's and all the Bugsy Seagulls always immaculately dressed trilby out on scars all over his face but he was a cut he was a cuts man he was he used to use the old uh the old-fashioned uh you know like the Sweeney Todd razor and cut people but him and Frankie Fraser were, were, were like known for their, they used to fight every time on Tuesday, on, on they they're both out of the similar areas, but they would just, they're famous for their knife fights. But uh, Eugene was obviously uh, Johnny Carter's brothers. I think it was Billy, Billy Carter. I think it was Billy Carter, I'm not too sure, but it was his son. Eugene got like a lot of London gangsters in the 80s, got very rich through Brinksmack money. So the Brinksmack money was lent out and a lot of it didn't get paid back. And obviously, so they was using that to get into the drug game. So Eugene become very, very big in the coke game. Used to, funny enough, come up to Liverpool and to get, to get most of his coke up in Liverpool. And then obviously, we would, obviously my dad had a lot of big friends up in Liverpool. So we would, uh, so we'd run into each other quite mm -hmm. a lot. But no, Eugene become a big, big player in the coke game in London. He I, dominated it. I wanted to know throughout your life, what is the most dangerous situation you've been in? I've been in a few dangerous situations. Uh... <sighs> Quite a few, a few I can't really mention on here oh because I would incriminate other people. What's and the most dangerous one you can mention? I, 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 there was, there's a family of brothers. I'm not going to mention the name. I'm entitled to, but I won't because I've just, I, I haven't got any respect for them. But, uh, but no, one of the brothers and me had an altercation. I was with uh, Patsy Brindle, 
who the Brindle family, I was with him, and a guy called Peter Welsh, whose dad was Bobby Welsh from the Great Trade Robbery. We was in a little pub, uh, La Rascas, where a lot of fights have got, funny enough, a lot of well-known, very well-known gangsters have had fights in there. And we was in there one night, and this guy's coming and pulled a blade out. And I thought, I'm not, I, I had something with me, I, I wasn't worried. Then he's gone off. He, he was worried because of the crowd I was in. Then we've had a set to over this girl's caused some problems. And then uh, a few weeks later, I have seen him driving down the road in Beckham High Street. And I'm like, fucking wanker, you're a fucking muggy cunt. And then obviously, I'm walking towards a church now in Beckenham. Next thing you know, bang, all of those bang. So what he'd done is he'd driven around in his Merc Jeep, driven around and hit me about 30 miles an hour. So I've gone up about 15 foot in the air. But what stopped me is this is mad. So it's right by a church and there's a big back, there's like a thing with the sign is the two poles where the car's gone in and literally folded up. Now Merc Jeep, brand new ML Jeep has folded up. So I've been it. So I'm on the floor, but I've got up and as I'm trying to smash the window, he's got out the side and they thought there was gunshots had gone off. So he'd done a runner. Next thing you know, there was a helicopter there which was trying to take me in these fucking on a stretcher because they said I had internal bleeding because I'd been what? hit. They, they saw the, the the CCTV. So he'd, he'd went on to the run. He went on to the run. But what it was, he went, he went I'm going to burn your mum's house down. I'm going to burn your mum's house down. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So some woman's heard that. She went, I'm not allowed to say So this woman's gone and made a statement to the police and said, this guy said blah, blah, blah. So I supported that because there's no way no one's going to threaten to burn my mum's house down when my dad's dying of dementia in, a, in, a, in an old people's home. You just don't do that. I'm not going to, I'm not worried about him running me over because I'll get, there's times I, he, could, he couldn't do it mano mano to me or he couldn't do it from the front of me. He had to do it from behind. So, and I, and then when they took me back to King's, I think I was at the hospital near Herne Hill, I can't remember if it's King's College, I'm not sure what it's called. But I had about 16 armed police officers there all fucking with guns and they're all sitting there because they was thinking he's going to come back and try and shoot me. When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Coro Snacks. Coro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. And the energy balls are delicious. Oh, they're my favourite, the salted pistachio. Ooh. Um, to have this Let's see what this one tastes like. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. So what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Their bulk packaging allow them to offer their customers high quality products at a fair price. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. And then uh, he got picked up six months later. But again, like these so-called wannabe gangsters, there was a letter put into the court uh, before, before the judge and he got six months in jail. So, Sean, it, this is what I'm saying. It, it's all, it's why well, I'm not going to get involved in these tit, tit for tat. But no, that, that's what happened. And uh, everyone knows what happened. But he, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't come on me like that. Oh, then sorry, he burnt me. Then there was another problem. So he burnt my ex-girlfriend's car outside. They, 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 well, they put a hand grenade on it. They, the car just gone straight up and burnt to a cinder. But that oh was like meant to be some sort of thing to me. But so they did that outside her house? Yeah, outside where we lived, yeah. How long ago was that? This was in 2004. It's before my book came out. Oh, my God. 
So this is all about the time of the book coming out. This is why the book has got to be revised edition and say the, the bits and pieces. So what was her attitude towards her car getting angry? Went fucking mental. And then she, his girlfriend <laughs> turned up at the pub and Jackie smashed her to pieces. And like, because Jackie could proper fight. Jackie literally annihilated his girlfriend. Jackie used to frighten me. Sometimes I'd be holding doors. She'd go, come home now. But Jackie just annihilated his girlfriend. Oh no, sorry. That's what happened. Jackie annihilated his girlfriend outside the pub. Then they done the car. Right. But the way I saw it, sure. Listen, it's like, that's why, listen, there's no honour amongst thieves. Never has been, never will be. I've what? got another ge generic question for you here. Um, have you genuinely feared for your life at any point? No, because I think that when you go, you go. Listen, I, listen. I'm as good as the next man standing in front of me. If a man's prepared to do something to me, I will. I'm not going to just stand there and let it happen. I'm very capable of fighting. I, I listen. Every, anyone who knows me knows I can fight. But I've got some very, very big, powerful friends. But I, I, listen, anyone's going to come and stab me, I'm capable of stabbing that person. Someone's going to shoot me, I'm capable of shooting that person. So, like the old saying, kill or be killed. Exactly. The law's crazy though, isn't it? If someone comes to kill you and you use excessive force on them, then you get sent well, down. Well, that's what I did. That's what happened with me at the party. I had the, with the bodybuilder, which the guy said on the comments, so he repeat, repeat, kept repeating the story. But sometimes you can't help repeat the story because they're part of... What you're telling, you're yeah. telling a certain thing. But Someone comes to kill you, you should be allowed to kill them. Is that but no, the case? no, the thing is now, the, the thing is now, Sean, which is lucky, you know what it is now? There's so, many, there's so much phone evidence, there's so much CCTV. Mm. Someone really wants to kill me, I'm at, I'm at the end part of my life anyway, so to speak. <laughs> I, and, I, and I've had a better, if I was to drop dead of an heart attack now, yeah. I've had a better life than anyone could ever imagine. Yeah. And I mean, I've got the cherry on the top. But listen, they, they, they want to go and put themselves in prison for 30 years. You know yourself, listen, all these gangsters all in America, they've got a contract on them, listen. They're all still, you've got Sammy the Bull on, on bloody podcasts every day. Look, who's ever done anything to him? We've got a documentary coming out of him. Have uh, you? On, on Discovery. I like him. Yeah. He's a good character. He's a good storyteller. But isn't when he? you think what John Gotti was saying, was going to do to him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his side of it, isn't and it? And John Elite, he's a good friend of mine. John's been over to see me in Mayfair. Yeah, me and Wildman interviewed John Elite years ago. Did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was one of one of our best ones. Yeah, no, John's a good friend of mine. Yeah, he came out. We had a good night out one night, me and John. Yeah, <laughs> he's the part, isn't he? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the next question is then from. Oh, this is from Red Shaper again. He's asking for what happened on your night out with James Lawson. Awesome. You've never heard of James Lawson? Awesome, no. Right, okay then. Um, we've got a question from Paul Wilkins, TV show. He's on about, um, no, TV show Gold and the men involved. Yeah, no, funny enough, I watched it last night. Yeah. It, it was What's actually. That? It's about the Brinks-Matt robbery. Oh. Because obviously Mickey McAvoy was a good friend of my dad's. Yeah. Uh, Brian Robinson, the two main characters, were, were very good friends of my dad's. Yeah, yeah. And obviously I know Tony White, another good friend of my dad's. But I know everybody in I know everybody in, in the Brinks-Matt. Yeah, I think it's a very, very, very good programme. So for the American viewers then, what is the Brinks-Matt robbery? The Brinks-Matt robbery was where in 1983 some masked men mm. went to the depot in Heathrow and they didn't expect the gold to be there. They was going after some cash. Because one of the guards had given some, Tony Black had given some inside information, but they went there and it was £26 million worth of gold. So they had to arrange to get loads more vans there. No. But my dad was meant to have been a key player in this. Was he? Allegedly. They, they, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. But it does, it, yeah. But obviously, well, we went from living in a three bedroom semi detached house to a five bedroom detached to the mansion not, 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 long, not long after. So. 
but no, yeah. So no, it was uh, yeah, it was, and it's and it's what carved I think South London into the drugs trade, and and it made a lot of criminals very very rich. So if you got prepared for one thing and it's another, I think that they went there. There was there was a couple of hundred thousand pounds, four hundred thousand pounds of diamonds, and twenty six million pounds worth of gold. So to get the extra weight moved, then what did that take? Uh, calling family members to get vans over because obviously the weight of the gold. And did they have to hold people hostage while that was happening? Yeah, yeah. But they successfully got away with it. Successfully got away with it. Wow. But that 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 killed that a lot of deaths have occurred from that robbery. It's like they call it the fool's gold, don't they? A lot of deaths have occurred. Yeah, of course they have, yeah. Brian Perry got shot dead. And what was his role? Uh he was looking after the money for for, for somebody allegedly. Some of the money. Georgie Francis got shot dead. My dad got actually arrested for the Georgie Francis shooting. My dad was in his seventies then. This is all because some of the money was going missing. This is because the guys who had robbed the money had, had entrusted certain friends and colleagues to make sure that money was doing good. But these people was using that money to better their own lives. But it's a great story. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a fantastic... I watched it last night. It was really, really, I'll have to really watch good. That. Did anyone eventually get arrested for it? Yeah, well, Brian, Brian, Brian Robinson, who was my dad's friend, they called him the Colonel. The he, Colonel. he was Tony Black's uh, brother-in-law. Yeah. He, so he got the information. And then you had... Uh, who did you? Then you, uh, Mickey McAvoy, who just recently died. He died. Uh, he died on New Year's Day this year. The guys who got arrested then, did they get away with it for a long time? A lot of lot, lot, lot of people involved that got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, don't know. I know them very well. And was this? I'll send you some. I got. I sent some pictures for this. Was this you. around the time of the Great Train Robbery? No, no. The Great Train Robbery is in the sixties. Sixties. I used to date one of the get the, 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 the guy's daughters. Did you? I'll send you the picture. Yeah, I'll send you the picture because it's yeah. Just, just it might be in this book. It shows you. It says Jimmy Hussey, the great train robber. His daughter Alex Hussey used to wait outside on my mum and dad's wall where they lived for me to come <laughs> home. She was like, she was like, she was like always waiting for me. She was like, oh, she's a lovely girl. Because that happened so long ago. Then for the viewers who are not familiar, what happened with the great train robbery? I don't know. That's, that's way beyond my time. That was in Is the sixties when it was where they robbed the mail. But I think it was two and a half million pound then. But in the sixties, that was like something like fortunes there hasn't it yeah, but yeah no yeah. it was a great trade it's, it's a little bit beyond and someone died in that one didn't he no I think the guy, they coshed the guard and he sort of uh, died, died years later the same it just came to my attention because I was a fan of the Sex Pistols then all of a sudden they had a track with Ronnie Biggs oh so you like the punks you like the punks my first song I ever bought was um, Holidays in the Sun well, one of my close friends is a lead guitarist in a group called The Business really yeah Stevie Whale yeah <laughs> that's one of a very, very close friend of mine the punk era was something else wasn't it yeah uh, all right, so the next question then is from Roger. He wants to know if the government and the authorities get involved with criminals to do certain work. Like, did they hire them to do things? You know, you know, you know like the CIA, yeah, like, yeah. involved with the mafia to do hits. To be honest, I, I have heard certain things. And when, when, when we've, I mean, I got arrested by MI5 when I was young. MI5. To do with uh, that robbery. Yeah. The, the robbery. And they said that they believed my life to be in danger because my friend Pat was shot dead. And yeah, they, you, they've always, police will always offer you, like, they're always going to offer the criminal way out, aren't they? Well, do they, like, like the CIA, hired a mafia to do hits for them? Not, not, not what I would like, no, no, no. get, get some London gangsters to do some dirt for No, you. and if I had, I wouldn't say, because yeah. I think I'm too frightened of coming after <laughs> me. No, but no, no, but no, no, but we all know, we all know it goes on. Yeah. Sure, yeah. We, we all know, yeah. We know, I think that's at a different level. I think that's, uh, 
with the, you know when you hear about these guys falling out of the windows who are working with the Russians and then mm. it, yeah it's a little bit I think that's a little bit too far up the ladder for me and have the police ever come to you with an Osman warning on your life no because someone's put this on a thing I've never yeah. I've never no someone put this on I've got two Osman boys never ever ever have I had the police come to me and said there's a warning on your life really never and then it's uh, someone on the comments going, yeah, he's had two or more. I thought, fucking hell, you know more than me. And I'm the fucking, I'm Jimmy Tibbet. I was like, fucking hell, mm-hmm. you seem to know more about me than I do. Mm-hmm. But no, no, never had no Osmond more. And I'll tell you if I had, yeah, I'll tell you. If... And are you still close with anyone from prison? Yeah, still close with some friends, yeah. Yeah. But not to the sense, I've got a couple of friends who I, I, I stay in contact with. I send them the occasional postal order. They phone me up every now and again. These are actually really, really nice guys who are just in there through their own greed, really. But... I, I, it's something I've walked away from that life and I, but I still take these two guys I've got in prison that are really really nice guys they are family men and they've helped me out a lot in the past so for that reason I do sort of stay in contact and they're these people they're older men who go to their cell they, they don't mix with other people the majority sure, sure you know prison, what prison is now is like it's like you see these videos on TikTok it's like you see them sitting there doing their bloody their little uh, their curries in, in, in their kettles and they think they're living life I thought fucking you want to come and sexy fish where you've got the steam coming out the big baskets of lobsters and all the fucking everything there but no it's there's no there's no there's no glamour in crime anymore so, so like in America then you had the old school Italian mafia then they lost the power and now we got like the cartels and stuff like that I think, it's, to be honest with you, it's the, the, the gangsters, and my dad always said this, it's the, the, the Irish, my dad, a lot of Irish friends. The, yeah. the Irish are the major players. In London? You've got a lot of them, because you've got Kilburn, you've got certain areas. But the, the Irish, and I find with the Irish, they're very, very good to their word. They're the, they're the most honourable. And a lot. And to be honest, a lot of Scousers. The Scousers stick together. Very, very, and the Manx as well. You've got the, the little crime groups. People always think the London Mafia, London. The London things are long gone now. You've got That's the Albanians, you've got yeah. the Iranians, you've got, you've got their own Somalians, you've got their own crime groups now. Mm-hmm. You've got the black gangs. It's not, the, like, the Longs are like Freddie Foreman and the Richardsons, these, these families. They're, listen, they're, they're well long gone. It's got more like America, hasn't it? More... Yeah, you got yeah. you. Of course, you've got your Turkish groups. You got listen, everyone. Listen, you got you listen. You got the on local council state who's got twenty people. That makes them a firm, doesn't it? Is yeah. So, do you still live now where you you grew up? No, 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 no. I live. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of seeing somebody in Manchester at the moment. So I sort of spend a lot of time in Manchester. Spend time time in Leeds. Spend a few days a week in London. I've I've got the I've got obviously I've been left some good stuff. So I'm I I can manoeuvre where I want to. But in the end, I'll probably move to Dublin. Yeah, love Dublin. And would you, when you returned to your old parts, would you say there was? Some I don't go. I know. I went to. I went to Beckenham, where I used to, where, where my mum's old house was. I went there last week. Had some uh, breakfast with a friend in his calf and all that. And it's, it's it was quite sad because I was thinking of my mum and dad. I was thinking of like all the all friends and of what's what's happened over the last thirty years there. Mm. But it's life. If I if you sit and dwell on that, it, it's going to bring you down. And it's like my mum and dad wouldn't want me to do that. They want me to move on and live my life. And you mentioned then your dad's new book. Yeah, uh, I'm doing it. I'm signing a contract with Julie this week. So she's a top-selling crime writer in uh, the UK. She's done 20 number one bestsellers. She's like the Martina Cole of Bradford. But no, so we're doing our contracts this week. So that should hopefully be out in the next few months. Yeah. How quickly we can get that out, yeah. Have you had a look at it? Sorry? Have you read it? No, no, no. We've got it all together. It's Because it's, 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 it's a part, it's more so people telling their stories about my dad. I've sort of, uh, she's doing all the hard work. I've just doing a little bits and pieces. I might just to blow my nose. So. Yeah, yeah, go for it. But yeah. everyone in the comments say I'm bang on the Charlie again. But uh. You will, definitely. <laughs> uh, and and um, 
All of Jimmy's links in the description box, Instagram, etc. If you want to go and stalk him and harass him, yeah, TikTok, troll TikTok him. Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. But uh, I've got, I've got. Did you finish that answering that one? Or? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a question here from uh, Miles. This is a very unusual question. I've never yeah. heard of anything like this before. Might have to use this on some other people. Looking back on your life, what scents and smells do you remember, and what stories are associated with them? Right, that's quite a good one. That's quite a good, that's quite a good one. Izzy Miyake. Izzy Miyake, that believe it or not. Izzy Miyake yeah. with the aftershave. It was like lemony. It was like a big rectangle uh, bottle with a big big lid. Yes. Uh, that, because it reminds me of the 90s, getting ready to go out. And getting not cheap. No, 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 no. no. And, then, and then other smells were like Aramis and Kouros. Because my dad always used to wear them in the 80s. And I could just remember that. We'd be in Marbella. My dad would be squirting that Kouros. And it just, it just because my dad was always tanned and he had like silvery blue eyes and it was like, and I remember Kouros being a big, big scent. And more recently, Molecule One, have you ever heard of that? No. Yes, I've smelt that one. My mum yeah. used to wear this and she would only wear Molecule One. It goes, it works with your hormones. Or, 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 your hormones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, my mum said, no, don't, don't ever buy me, I only wear Molecule One. So it is a fact, and I only wear Creed Aventos. Or Barakat Rouge. So they're the only. So smells do. It smells do. Do you not know yeah. Isimiaki? No. If you smell a man with it's it very on, lemony. he meant business. Very lemony. Yeah, yeah that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we normally do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no, it's fun. That's what an unusual question. That's really interesting. No, because it is smells, and it's like pie and mash. When I go to a pie and mash place, that's memories for me because I smell the liquor, and you smell the mash, and you, and and it and it's it's like. It is, that's, a very, that's a very unusual question. I thought you would have said something nice, like bonfires or something. No, no, no. no. Right. Did we do hit on his life? Have we hit Michael yeah, Tyler. Michael yeah, Tyler put his wife's head off. Da, 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 da. Shout out to Tiny. We did that. Uh... Job. So did you do? Did you did you did you interview Tiny? Yeah, yeah. Tiny was a great guy. Darling, yeah. yeah, yeah, very 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 intimidating. His story was gripping about this war. Yeah, for, he had this war going with another prisoner because he comes from my he comes from my area. So we're yeah. both from, we're both from SE13 because when we got linked in Lewis, he went SE13. So everyone, mm. I mean, having him on your side, you wouldn't want anyone else to because he's a big old power unit. Yeah. and he sort of he, he, everyone was just petrified of him on the wing. Uh, but he just, me and him just befriended each other because we was SC13. Crazy as a my chair, but no, very yeah. interesting character. Our chair collapsed during the interview. Did it? With him? Yeah. We've, got <laughs> a we've got a clip where the chair just collapses <laughs> and we both just hit the ground. We'll have yeah, to say it's quite yeah, yeah, funny. Send me that. yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. So, but yeah. it's funny when he got in touch with me. Yeah? Yeah, no, he got in touch with me on Instagram. He went, Jim, it's me, Carlon. Do you remember from uh, when we uh, were with HM Lewis? <laughs> But no, no, he's funny. So what would you say is the biggest high point of your life? The biggest high point? Uh, I think the last the last year, really. It's, no, I've had some great times. Remember, my dad, obviously, I met some fantastic and wonderful people. I mean, being engaged uh, to Rachel Roberts, who was my childhood sweetheart. She was like, she played uh, Justine Dean in Grange Hill. So to be with her, and I actually used to watch her on the show and really like her. <laughs> we was actually then living together. We had like loads of money at the time. We was we went to St. Lucia and got engaged. And I remember we was in the beautiful hotel down there, Hassan Bay. And uh, she had this, I'd, I'd got her a big, it was a four carat uh, square diamond. And this woman next to her, she went, fucking hell, I'd bend over for a stone like that. Like, this kid's <laughs> going, that's my one. And everyone kept coming up to go, 
I remember you. Did you used to go to my school? And I went, she went, if anyone keeps asking me, because like, if she was in Grand Jill, the most popular children's like, yeah. TV show, yeah. whenever we was out, people go, oh, did you used to go to my school? She went, oh, for fuck's sake, Ginger, I hate this bloody thing. But she had a fascinating story. I mean, her dad was murdered the day she started Grand Jill. No. No. Yeah. Over she, what? So this is, this is this is quite mad. It's quite a good story. So she, she started Grand Jill in 1988. She did. She was the longest running cast member. I think it was six, seven years she was in it. So she was, uh, she told me, so her dad, uh, what's that name? Terry Roberts. No, Eddie Roberts. Sorry, Eddie Roberts. He'd gone to the bank in East Croydon. He was a scrap metal dealer. Gone to the bank, come out of the bank. He'd had 10 grand in his pocket. Someone come up, shot him in the head. No. So they, got, they, they didn't take the 10 grand. But there was a big, big thing that she had always said that the mum was involved in it, or the mum had what? been knock, the mum had been hanging or knocking off someone's dude the brink smat. So this is really interesting. It's like really quite interesting story. But when I saw the medium, the medium said to me to get away from Rachel, and she said like I can tell you now, go home, and because Rachel was in America at the time, I kept seeing like shadow people in the house. What? Apparently it was a dad saying he didn't want me in the house. Really mad. Listen, this is, uh, I was in the bath one morning and I was like sitting there and the next thing you know, there was a shadow standing there. I could oh. see it was a man. I literally jumped out of the bath naked. My dad says, grab the phone. I thought, who am I going to find? I'm going to laugh at yourself. But I think I couldn't go back upstairs. I had to go through the washing, the washing basket and put, put tracksuit on. Went to see a medium called Catherine who was based in Maidstone. And uh, went up to see her with Scott's talking. I thought, oh, it's a load of old waffle. You know, like, this is like, this is 2008. So I'm sitting there listening to all this waffle and I'm thinking, yeah, all right, all right. And then she goes, uh, I've got your nan nanny, uh, your nanny Maud. Well, she knows my nan's name. And then her face started contorting. It was really weird, like, going a bit fat like my nan. And she used to wear these tick glasses. I thought, she went, yeah, yeah, uh, Rachel's, you've got to get away from her. And I, and I went, what, what? She went, I see you, I see, I see you getting knifed in the back. What? Went, what? 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 She went. Listen, you need to go home. Start searching through things, and it's all going to become clear. Went home, started finding little quart bottles of vodka everywhere. So Rachel lived in a beautiful big four bedroom house, and looked like it was a, like we used to call it the white picket fence. So next thing you know, she's come back from America, started rowing. It's on the front page of the Sunday People. School's loud, attacks cop and mum. So she ended up getting nicked for attacking her mum and the coppers one day because we've been rowing. I got mentioned and sort of saying, and then, and then we just, we was, we were just, it didn't become just really toxic. But then I believe certain things in this spiritual stuff, she, she, my, the, I, she was saying things. Oh, she went, you and your nana, the password, because my name was a bit of a medium myself. Mm. And she said, Look, do you want me to come and visit you as a ghost if I ever die? I went, no, don't be saying that. It frightened me. I said, she went, well, let's, you go to a medium when our password would be Ruby, right? Because she used to wear like a, a Ruby necklace. So when she was there, she went, just to let you know, just so you know it's your, your nan here, she went, she's got a little password. And if I was to tell you that password's Ruby, what would you say? Oh, With that, no. all the hairs oh. in the back of my neck went up. And I was like, wow. I remember sitting in the car after, my legs were just shaking in the car. And I, I, went, I went back to, my mum was playing cards with me. I my auntie Julie, who was with uh, Freddie Saul, the cop killer. I went, mum, mum, mum. And they, went, oh, don't listen to that old fucking waffle. I don't know what you're listening to that old shit for. And they were just more interested in playing cards. And like, I was trying to tell them about this surreal, like, like spiritual experience on that <laughs> <laughs> those more interesting. Those more interesting is going down and mm. playing Kaluki. But no, I've had some great, great experiences. I've been all around the world. I've been out with some beautiful women. I mean, I went out with. Uh, That's what I want to ask you about is your your dating history. I mean, oh, they're beautiful. Women. Well, I've been out with. I've been out with. I've been out loads of famous women. I've is, is honestly, we well, only got to look at my, my social media. But no, I've been out. Obviously, Paige. You've met Paige. Absolutely beautiful. 
I love, but and, and obviously I mean, I'm 51 now, and, and it, it, I get I get girls in their 20s like all, all, all like jumping Leonardo at me. DiCaprio dating, yeah, he likes yeah. good looking women. No, women. and I do love beautiful women. It's not that I'm not. I, I, I treat them like princesses. Maybe years ago I didn't, but no, I try my best. And my daughters, me and my daughter are talking again now, so we're sort of trying. We're going going easy, but no, I'm just taking things gradual. But no, I'm on a nice date. Uh, me and Paige, we're not together now, but uh, I thought we'd have gone all the distance, but I'm going on a date Saturday evening with a nice girl from Blackpool. So uh, so she's, she's uh, very similar to looking to Paige, you actually. for Northern women. I do prefer... Paige was from Rotherham. Paige was from Rotherham. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no, I do prefer Northern women, yeah. if I'm honest. I think... So, uh, I, I just don't... I think... Because um, they like the accent more up north. So that's sort of, that's, that's my a selling point. That's a selling point. More down to earth as well, aren't more, they? More, more family orientated. Yes. Where yeah. down south, they seem to be very stuck up. And uh, I'm not, I've got a lot of girlfriends. Excuse me. No, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about you. Well, you. You're not London, you're the other side. Southwest. 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 That's a whole different. We're carrot crunchers. That's a whole different category of women. No, but no, no. I've been very lucky. I've been with some beautiful women. I mean, I've been out with some one crazy woman. That's a whole podcast in itself. She was a. A porn star, but she was uh, connected to a billionaire. How did you meet her? Then? Met her. Yeah. I met her on Facebook yeah. in 2008, but I was still seeing Rachel at the same time. And she was like my guilty pleasure. But she was seeing uh, the six richest man in the world. I can't say his name, could I? No, no. no but he was the six richest man in the world, 26 billion he was worth. And he died around that same time and left her an absolute fortune. So we had, we had a year of the bulge parties like you couldn't believe it other porn stars and it was like I'd creep off from my lovely little four bedroom house in Kent to go over to sort of the Chelsea Fulham South Kensington and play with the big people and I, I was just living the dream did she quit porn when she got that money uh yeah but still involved in the sex industry but it was sad to see still a lot of people are so bad on the coke and mm. they, they go for days on them partying and then they I mean, it's like now, the, the, I know a lot of girls who are escorts in London and some of these girls can go on between five and 10 grand a day mm. and they're, they're out there partying for two or three days. But how long is that with the shit they're sniffing now? How long is that going to last? Or before they, their minds are ravaged with like, oh. Every stripper ever dated in America said, yeah, I can make 10,000 in a night. <laughs> I go to the place, they're always broke. It's all, it's all gone on drugs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like ginger from casino. It's what? Easy come, easy go. Yeah. No, it's, and there's no regret. Listen, exactly what you just said there. I've dated a girl who was an escort, bought a St. Beautiful once, lost it. It was like, wasn't even bothered about it. I thought I spent thousands and thousands on that gift. And then you just lost it. And I thought, do you know, because they, cause they, got, they earned so much money, they got no regard. For anything they got, so how can they have any regard for any possessions? How can they have regard for a person? Because yeah. if they've sold their soul, basically, you yeah. sleep with men 10, 15, 5, 10 men a day, that's got to affect you. Each time takes a bit of the soul, of course, it does yeah. 100% it does. Yeah, they're not well, pure. I can't understand why she didn't quit if she inherited all this money from this guy. It, it, like this, this would be a podcast all in itself. Maybe yeah. we have to do that at a later date. Yeah. We'll get we'll see, speak to the lawyers first. Was, she, yeah. <laughs> was it like an addiction to the lifestyle? Sure, just say I was addicted to the lifestyle. Yeah. Two thousand eight was probably one of the best years of my life. Mm. I mean, I can honestly say it was like unlimited money, parties, people. We was we was we was out with lords and ladies. We was having private. We was at. Uh, You've seen lords and ladies take drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. of course, no comment. <laughs> but I used to live on the King's Road, so we I would go into a little cafe. Uh, 
Mona Lisa's down there, beautiful breakfast, and they used to open up for the dinner. You'd always see Lord Brockett there, you know, the one who buried his Ferraris mm. and went to prison. Mm. But Bob Geldof would be sitting outside. You'd see, like, Caprice, the supermodel. You'd see them all around there. And it was like, I loved it. Chelsea's a great, great, got a great vibe. But no, listen, I, and I've got a friend now, Stuart. He's, when I was in prison, this guy, he's like, he reminds me of, he's an eccentric guy from up north, but he's, Stuart's like, is Stuart Maffrey's name is a very good friend of mine and he's helped me so much. You know, when I was in prison, he'd send me 500 quid, he'd pay any lawyer's fees. Mm. He, but he's an eccentric character, got a big mansion up at North, Ferrari. He, he's got a beautiful partner in Chelsea, but he's like my big brother. He's <laughs> really helped me. So do you say that you're attracted to dangerous women? Yeah, no. Do you know what it is? I'm attracted to naughty, naughty women. But no, I'm attracted to... No, do you know what it is? I sort of, I am the sort of stereotype person who attracts the escorts and the strippers. Yeah. I think that's because of doing these podcasts, the way I sort of conduct myself, the book and, mm. and my lifestyle. But it is a fast lifestyle. Yeah, but do you know what it is, is? No one wants to live forever, do they? And I'm, and I'm having good fun at the minute. So until <laughs> someone of my own age can come along and wave a magic wand to make it all different and bake me the perfect casserole, provide me with a great big mansion, then I, I'm happy to carry on with the so podcast. So they see you as the life and soul of the party. <laughs> Yeah, no, I always have been, but then I said, I, as, I, as I'm getting older, I'm not so much, I don't really like going out to pubs, I don't go pubs, I don't go clubs, I like nice hotel bars, I like nice restaurants, so I don't really, I don't run into any trouble or, or idiots, I'm not, I don't. I'm, but if you track them women who want to party all the time. It's the no, no, they seek me out through social media, Sean. <laughs> listen, my TikTok is like, God, I'm getting hit on by God, girl after I'm going to party like, with Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going, but you got to wait. Well, you got to wait first. Yeah, no, yes, no, no. But no, I'm, I'm enjoying life at the minute. But I'm not saying I want to continue that. I mean, one or two days. Doesn't that get to a point where it starts wearing you out? It's yeah. really wearing me out now. That's why I shoot, shoot yeah. testosterone into me once a week. But uh, no, yeah. it's no, it does wear me out. It, but it's. Uh, I like nice food now. Good food, good wine. Mm. And uh, the nice life. And do you, nice do you, life. to balance it out, do you like maintain a fitness regimen? Yeah, no, I box every day. I do box my boxing. Every I box day? this morning. I was up at six o'clock this morning, do my boxing. Shit. And also, shit. when someone thinks they're going to be, I know that you're ready and you're, you're like that, you're yeah. like that, you're like that tiger ready to yeah, pounce. Yeah. No, why all the other people are sitting at six o'clock doing kitchen parties? I'll be up training, do my boxing. But then I might get on a Tuesday or a Friday, I think I've only got to have one drink. Once I have one drink, then it's then I know the rest of the night's over. And how do you keep your stamina up for? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking for a friend? I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, for the boxing. For the boxing. Oh, for the boxing. To go no, no, for testosterone. 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 Walking Fiji water. I drink yeah. by, the, by, the, by the gallon. I, I love Fiji water. Yeah. I eat very good. So this morning I had scrambled eggs and salmon and, do you and run bottled or water. Like that? Don't run, walk, mm. walk everywhere. I do about yeah, 25, 30,000 steps a day, and I'm doing like sort of six threes on the bag, mm. and I feel I feel good with that. You look like you're in phenomenal shape. No, I do, yeah. I do feel it. No, since me and Paige sort of party company, I'm sort of I'm doing a lot, lot, I'm doing a lot, lot more. Because yeah. obviously that makes it gives me more. I want to get the best I can. And you mentioned since the podcast that you've had the police approach you about doing school tours. Yeah, yeah, no, I spoke, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm definitely going to do it. that with West Yorkshire, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's going to schools, basically, and sports clubs and speaking about my experiences with, with life, crime and drugs and how, how to deter these youngsters from definitely. a different way of life. And it's something I'm, I'm very, very... Work. And obviously, I'm doing... Julie wants to do the... my. I want to do another book with... Uh, Harper Collins, maybe like an autobiography, but not really, not about crime, maybe more about my life with the family. So like, it's like a family way. 
So it'd be like we'd be speaking about certain things, but obviously there's a lot of stuff about my family which I would love to say in a book which isn't crime related. Yeah. So earlier you, you said you thought you know Paige was the one. If you met the one, to be honest, I'm not saying I'm not ruling that me and Paige won't even get back together. But yeah. I, I I do feel that she's got to live her life. I don't want to clip her wings and, and keep mm. her hostage she's, as much as I'd love to because she's beautiful and and she makes me laugh. But I I want her to live her life. She's 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 got she's got her own issues and she's got she's got to deal with that. And but no, we're still speaking. We're still friends. We speak every day on the phone. If you met the one, what would you envision your life as then? Like marriage and more kids? No, 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 my daughter's because she's going hard about No, because uh, I, I would love to get the little house out, out near York, a uh, couple of dogs, and, and, I, and I just have that nice lifestyle. Get, go missing with my friends on a Friday night, coming the next day, being told off. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> always like going out and having a Sunday dinner, or friends over for a Sunday dinner. I love traveling. I love, I love but Dublin's very bit, uh, close to my heart. So yeah, you definitely want to move there. I enjoy, I've been thinking the last few weeks because I was thinking near York. I, I love York. and I, 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 What do you like, like about York? It's a lovely It's city, traditionally, it? listen, it's traditionally English without I could get a be called a racist. It's like where every, everyone seems to have blue eyes and it's it's like, <laughs> and the, it's like the old fashioned, it's free Viking. Like Sweden. No, no, it's no, but it's just like old English. What I remember in the 70s growing up as a little kid, yeah. um, it's like sweet shops and lovely little cobbled streets and families holding their children without seeing little groups of like scallywags and just real nice old English. Mm. What I remember. I think I'm speaking at York in November. I'll to, definitely, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely yeah, come up and yeah, see yeah, you there, Sean, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love it. And I've got a lot of friends there, so mm. I'll, bet, I'll, bet I'll get them to come up there. Yeah. So apart from the book and uh, spreading the word on talks, what do you have planned next? Uh, obviously, I've, got, I've spoke to you about TV. I've been offered a part in a TV show, just waiting. I've, I've obviously done my promotional with them at Elstree last week. So we've still got a few little bits and pieces to sort out. Uh, spoke to my agent last week, looking to maybe put out an autobiography this year. Uh, not crime, nothing to do with crime. My autobiography, we'll mention obviously bits of crime, but it's not a criminal book, it's it's an autobiography. Uh, I'm just looking to maybe, I'm involved in certain projects, which I'm not sh too sure. I'm just taking, like, I'm, I'm in a position that I haven't got to worry about anything in life. I'm just enjoying each day and... A few things I just want. I just want. I just want to. Just want to be happy. Are you looking I'm, to be sponsored by a hat company? Yeah. So yeah. Before I met them, yeah, I've I become really good friends with Frank. Yeah. God. So WB Friends. Uh, they're on Instagram. They're an amazing hat company. It's where I'm wearing these today. This is called. Uh, this is not the leader. They do all different caps, like the Baker Boy caps, the Gatsby caps, the leader caps. But they're the latest hat brand, and, they, and they're, so I'm like an ambassador for them now. So they're they're absolutely smashing it, using all the top sort of faces to use their, to wear their hats. Come on, hook me up, WB. I've got a really big head. So, so I don't know. So what? So <laughs> wherever, you're, I, wherever so I, I go, I can never get, find the hat. I'll get Frank. No, no, it's covered in flour. No, no. Listen, listen. I'll get Frank to hook you up. Frank will hook you up at WB Freds. So throughout this crazy time, have you any regrets? Of course you do, but the thing is, if you to sit and dwell on regrets, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna die do a lonely old man. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I I do. I obviously bringing up the sexual things today, the sexual abuse what happened to me. It's very it, brave it, of you. That's gonna probably probably I'll probably have to go and have a drink tonight. But no, it no, it's it's very upsetting. It's it's something because I still feel for my parents of all the shit I put them through, and I believe that if that wouldn't have happened to me, I would have been a totally different boy and a man. I, I believe what happened to me didn't, it took a long time for me to become a man. 
even not even so last few years, it's, I think nursing my mum through cancer for a year, mm. I become a real man then. That's when I'd actually say that I was actually, my mum actually said for 49 years, I've not been really proud of you, but today I can honestly say I'm proud of you and you're a real man in my eyes and your dad would be proud of you. And to see that, I cried my eyes out and I, just, I turned it back on her and I was crying. Mm. But to hear that was really powerful and passionate because my mum was such a strong, cold-hearted woman. She would like, she, she was brought up, shoes she ran away from home at 15 and her brother had some sort of he had some sort of illness so she nursed him he was disabled and then he became a multi-millionaire and when she was like when we, my mum and dad lost a lot of money in the early 90s she needed some help and he sort of turned his back on her and I thought what a dog and then my mum had, had looked after him while he was disabled and everything and and actually my dad lent him his first bit of money to start his most successful business up mm -hmm. and uh, but my dad wouldn't be horrible to family members or anything like that my dad was ruthless but not with my dad had a heart and that's it's why I, I i try and focus on the good things with my mum and dad and now for me i do i do want to work i mean because i want to get into some sort of business sean because i don't want to be lazy i don't want to sit around just with the everything you've got i want to keep and obviously i enjoy doing the podcast i really do because you, i've got a story to tell and if i can help a few people along the way or deter people from a life of crime then then that would be that would make it perfect i mean is that the first time you spoke about the abuse today I never spoke about it before anyone else so it's exclusive for sean atwood and do you feel a weight has been lifted yeah, of course I do, because I think that it's, I'm going to get a lot of positive response from this. And also, if I can help other people maybe come out of people who haven't actually... These people's abusers might still be out there. They might still be able to do something about the, it. The abusers are out there because the government doesn't give a shit. No, you're right. And I've, I've actually heard it firsthand from a police officer who said, but then I've seen other actions of the police and... But I mean, I know they're fighting a hard job. I mean, you, I mean, the, the country's in a complete and utter mess. I mean, I had a heating bill for six hundred and eighty quid. And I don't even have the heating on, and it's no. And then it's and then you're getting. I mean, gravy granules were two quid, and they're like four pound fifty. I'm seeing all this mad shit on social media, thinking, but, but when are people going to think? Are people stupid enough to to think? And you just see people going in shops now, just filling up their bags and walking out because people have had enough. And eventually, it's going to happen on a lot bigger scale. Look well, at Liverpool of, uh, with the police van being burnt out. Yeah. There's a lot of home crimes, uh, robberies going on at the moment. Home crimes? Like home robberies. I've seen it in London. No, I've seen it in London where, they, where they've got Range Rovers on driving. They're knocking on the door pretending to have a parcel and then there's like eight of them all masked up going in the houses because the person they believe has got a watch on or, or bits and pieces. I mean, I'm lucky. I live in a beautiful penthouse with a concierge, security, cameras everywhere. You could never get into... No, listen, the police would have a problem getting into me. So, and then obviously where I live, there's a big government building and they've got armed police outside. So I, really, for me, I live in a perfect location. But as I said, it's no, it's, it's a very dangerous world we live in now. Yes. When you take care of your mum then, did you do soul searching? Yeah. So I've done a lot of soul searching and I believe I'm a better person now. I've got some really, really good friends. And they are really good friends. They're, they're loyal friends. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Some, some of my friends have been criminals. They've changed their lives. But I believe, believe that there's a, where I lived in Bromley over there, these people were still the same people. They're like, they're like listen, I'm not going to call people, but listen, that's their that's their project, that's their lives. But these people are like, they prey on people. They're 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 they're, they're not nice people. So the soul searching make you change your life priorities? Changed my whole life priorities. I loved Paige to bits, still do. But unfortunately, listen, life goes on and she's got a whole life in front of her. I'm on the back part of mine now. So I want to make each day count and make loads of memories. Obviously, me and my daughter, hopefully we rebalance things out. But 
I've got some really good friends and, I, and I'm enjoying going on those. We go out for some lovely meals. We have some right laughs. And that's what it's about. It's about if you can go home the next day or you smile the next day when you wake up, yeah. you've got money in the bank, you, you, you've got food in the cupboards, you, you've got nice clothes, you've got a car, you, you're happy. And one of my last questions is, how would you say uh, gangster life differs from the present to back then? Well, for now, they, I wouldn't say there's a gangster life anymore. It's, to what I see it is, and it's these young kids wearing balaclavas, hats and like tracksuits going about in gangs with certain type of this drill music or whatever they're doing they're all shot in their drugs they're doing what they're doing and running their corners or, or they're where their ends are but it's when we when i was doing it with the gangsters listen these gangsters get out their rolls royces and ferraris and where they all have their beautiful pinky rings on they wouldn't have to worry about anyone coming stealing their watches or rings they'd sit there and drink they, they were gentlemen but away from that they was they were ruthless bastards but they, listen, it was like exactly what you see in the film, like the business. So it, 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 that was it, this was how we lived, and unfortunately, obviously, that's why for me, crime is not an option. No, and I'd rather be dead than, than go back to that life or, or 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 be involved in that in any way, shape, or form. So the other thing you guys have both got in common, the conclusion you come to, then reflecting on your lives is. So have dogs around you. I love Jen, dogs. Jen wants a dog farm. I do. Love dogs. But my uncle, before he died, he was a famous poker player called yeah. Bobby Clark. He died in a few years. He died a year before my mum, uh, 2021 or 2020 died. And he had 22 dogs. No. They was on, wow. him, and his, him and his wife was on Poor House Rich House. They was on Poor House Rich House <laughs> and they had the bill. But he had 22 dogs. They had two Dobermans, Ronnie and Reggie, then another one called <laughs> Violet. Violet. Then they had uh, 16 chihuahuas, two of these, uh, these little things. 22 dogs. And he said to me, do you know something? Fuck any, any, any people. I, I love like dogs, dogs more than yeah. people. I mean, yeah. I've got four chihuahuas now. They live with my ex-girlfriends. So I, I get I get to see them every couple of weeks. And they are, I love them. And I mean, one of them just been, got attacked the other week by a pit bull. But oh, my no. ex managed to get the pit bull's mouth, open the open the mouth and pull the dog. Because they get locked jaw. The poor little dog mm. was, the do dog should have made birth. Anyway, he was, a, he was like running the litter. Then he had to have an operation because his paw was dying. Then he had all scar there, and it, but this little this little dog keeps fighting back. He's like a little proper little fighter, and now he terrorises all the other dogs. But and no, he, he's got through that. Poor little thing's got tubing him the other week where he's like nearly had his head bit off, but he just got through it. Oh good. But so no, I love I love animals more than people. If I watch an animal getting hurt on a film, I get more more upset than people. I, you know, I saw the other day. I saw a golden eagle fly off with a poodle. What? On on TikTok. Oh, on TikTok. Oh. I'll show you the video in a minute. Yeah, and it's do you know what it is? And you see the dog look all happy, you know, but I think the, the, the eagle had picked it up and just you just Jesus you just nature. don't realise. Apparently, the, the, they take dogs all the time. What? And I saw another one. I mean, this is hard to tell you off this one. No, but yeah, it's you just don't. I saw a guy. A, a, Where was this? An in alligator the UK? dragged the dog. An, an alligator dragged the dog in a river, and the dog guy, he's seventy odd with his cigars, got into the river, grabbed the grabbed the alligator. Opened its jaws. The dog's got out. Okay, and he's just like the alligator back in. But he's done Legends. it all while he's got his cigar in his mouth. Yeah, Absolutely. I see some mad, mad shit on that TikTok, but no, I love it. I thought, what? What a legend. He's like a proper legend. If I want to meet that guy. If you're going to get a dog, Jen, what type would you get? Whippet or a Boston. I used to have a Boston Terrier. No, I, like, so. I, like, I like Chihuahuas. I like Chihuahuas. Little ones. But if I, I do like my favourite dog is Rottweiler. I do love Rottweilers. Rottweilers. I was brought yeah. up with Rottweilers. So, well, my Not dog right. Tara, her granddad was uh, the dog in the Omen film. No way. Yeah, really? so even, even, yeah, even, our dog, even our dogs were in the fucking films. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, even our dogs, yeah. Her, 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 I think it was her dad or granddad. So we got Tara in 1980. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was her granddad. Yeah, it was her granddad. Wow. Shout out to dogs. Right, so please check out Jimmy's links in the description box if you've got any opportunities for him to speak in schools, prisons, or anything else. Since, you know, 
The it messages way through Instagram. Is that your main one, Instagram? No, Facebook is my main Facebook. one. Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram, yeah. All three links will be down there. All Jen's links are down there as well. Put any questions, comments in the comments. And thank you for watching and take care until next time. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. He cut his wife's head off and drove about no. in a mini for like, say, like two months. He was the Queen's cousin. And stabbed a samurai sword in him and opened him up, and like literally right open it. The guy was a psychopath. He used to go in a pub and open people up for fun. You know, he was, a, he was a, no one wanted to be around him. They, they called him the plum. So as he was coming in, my dad went running over. He had like his, his suit on, and the geezer's come up with a big knife. And I remember my dad just went crash one right hand, and my dad hit him. His face it looked like short. It was like something out of a cartoon. His face went all distorted, and it was like my dad hit him and took the knife off him and then rammed it straight in his shoulder. Literally, it pierced him to like where the carpet was. I think they, I think when they come out, they, they couldn't get him out because the carpet was like, the knife was so wedged in. You know, like felt wallpaper. They had that in the limelight VIP bit, but it was blood all up the walls. I think I remember Peter Bleaks, he's saying, if the roof would have fallen in that night, 90% of South London's underworld would have been gone. They'd normally leave someone dead in the toilets or, or the half dead. They were like really evil people. But uh, I loved it. I was like a kid, like a sponge, just soaking up all in his I was like, hell. I had to see psychologists, no judge or court would listen to my story because they said what went on in that party wasn't of a normal human being. When I smashed it into him, it burst his bowel. So what happened was, apparently he died three times on the operating table because he was, he was, because where he'd been stabbed, he didn't realise and for like two or three hours, his like excrement was leaking out of his bowel. So he, so they opened him up from his groin up to oh. his neck. He'd had like 400 stitches. They used to have bowls of like probably four or five ounces with playing cards stuck in them. And everyone would just like take a little bit and off, go off to the toilet and have a, and all the women are walking about in shoulder pads like sang out of Dallas. And all the guys have got like, like, like sang out of Miami Vice. For me, when I was 19 doing it, they was just like the white doves of 91. And for me, when I had that first half of dub, I was like, I never danced in my life and I had my hands on the, the banisters in limelight in the church. And next thing I had my legs, their own little thing. And I'm thinking, fucking hell, I saw someone who I, Hate at school and I'm like, oh, what the hell are you going? Come have a drink, come have a drink. And this to me was like, this was the best thing that had ever happened in my life. I think about things, what my mum told me, and I know they're looking up over me, and I do want to do the best of my life now. He had like a, a, a shield around him, it was like an aura. And I, as a kid, I was like, you know, I love this. It's how I'm a problem solver, son. I said, what do you mean? He went, well, if someone's got a problem, I'll solve it. <laughs> he didn't really like the company of other gangsters. He chose to drink with the window cleaner or the street. And I said, why do you drink with those old mugs? And he goes, son, they're not mugs. They go to work from nine to five. They look after their family and they're really decent people. He said, gangsters won't give you nothing. They just take off your take off you. They're leeches. He said, see that guy, the, the window cleaner, you mug off, who the poor Harry, the window cleaner. He said, he gave me a bit of work and I earned a million pounds. He said, someone looked, <laughs> I thought I could just be 19 and be like turning to my dad mm -hmm. and real life isn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Many of you have seen Jimmy Sippet go viral on TikTok. He's been on YouTube on Liquid Bullet. Jen's mate Ben's had him on on Enquirer 1.0. Credit him. We'll put a link in the description box to all this good stuff. And loads of people have been trying to get Jimmy on so we are honoured. He's got such an amazing story. He is a high-powered speak. I mean, people come in and they got no energy or they give us short answers. We just like to sit here mesmerised by people like Jimmy. So huge thank you for coming on, man. <laughs> yeah, That's okay, you. my pleasure.
You said that you had an uncle who was a cop killer. Yeah, Freddie Saul. He was uh, Britain's most wanted man. In 1971, in August, he went on to an armed robbery in Blackpool with some other guys. And they, it was on a jewellers. But the jewellers, it went wrong. Someone pressed the, the alarm buzzer. There was smoke coming out. Fred ended up running down an alley, but a chief superintendent Richardson, uh, a high-ranking police officer in Blackpool, chased after Fred. Fred spun round, but the guy sort of jumped onto the gun and Fred pulled the trigger. It was like an air... It just it went and that was Fred's life over. He was in on the, officially on the run. He was Britain's most wanted man for six weeks until he was caught. So I was born in uh, the 9th of September, 1971. So Fred was still at large. So where I was born in Lewisham Hospital, there was a little place called Ladywell where my nan lived. So the police was went to the hospital. They went to my nan's address. So obviously it took the dairy off of my, as my mum said, it took the dairy right off your birth, Jim, because you was, everyone was going to be talking about her, her baby son being born to my dad. And it was like, everyone was, Fred was in the papers every single day being Britain's most wanted man. So my mum it took the dairy right off your fucking birth so no yeah so that was uh, my story sort of uh, into the underworld and obviously with my dad who being who he was because we've got a lot of viewers in America then what's your definition of the London underworld the London underworld I said well everyone says don't they Sean it's, it was like the Ronnie and Reggie of the, the gangland 60s and the Richardsons who were all family who, who were and are still are the Richardsons who's, Eddie Richardson who's alive they're all family friends, but no, it was. I think it was just the sixties. It was like it was like the American so pro- prohibition years, wasn't it? It was. It was all doled up like in suits with with uh, George Raft coming over. James, it was a James Cat. My dad had pinky a, rings. Yeah, but the, that's what I said. My dad had a spieler in Lucian up in a. Uh, Near, uh, where was it? Uh, it was above the kebab house, just by the bowling alley. I can't think of the hill where, or Belmont Hill it was, going towards Blackheath. And as a kid, I would go up there and you had all the people sort of, like you had the Smiths, the Haywards, Ronnie Easterbrook, do you remember him? He was a guy who blew himself out with Semtex out of the prison van. Oh, he was on a round robbery in 1987. They'd done a robbery and it was, there's a thing on YouTube, really interesting. It's called Operation Turkey. And it's where the police are following a group of armed robbers. And it's like a, a live documentary as they're doing it. And you see him filming it. And then Ronnie has a shootout. Tony Ash got shot dead. He had a wig on. And he got shot dead. And you see him on the floor with a wig on the floor. And Ronnie was sh- got shot by the police uh, marksman. And he was still shooting, shooting back at the copper. But Ronnie got a natural life sentence and fought it up until the day he died, which was around 2008, 2010, I believe. And he was only two sixties. He refused to accept. He, he was. He said he was a political prisoner. He spent most of those years as a triple A cat. Wow. But he wow. got someone in the IRA when he was in Brixton to smuggle some Semtex in. And he, what he done is he put it inside the van. But what he done, he put his court papers, and he ended up losing two fingers because instead of going outwards, it went inwards. So the explosion went inwards. He'd done it wrong. But he had it smuggled in in some craft Dairy Lee cheese because he was allowed certain food items in when they was on remand in wow. Brixton. So this is back back in the day. But no, I grew up with all these sort of people. Like with Freddie, we used to go on holiday with Freddie Foreman. When, when did you become aware? You said you were born in 72. 71. 71. So when did you like become aware that all this was going on around I you? I think, Joe, you know, it was. It wasn't, it was, as a kid, I always knew I was different because we'd, we would go out. My dad never used to work. He'd have illegal gambling clubs like Spielers. And all my dad's friends were like, you'd always see them in a newspaper or they'd come round and they was all like, all big gold Rolexes, pinky rings. And my dad's friends were like, he had a guy, a scouser called Norman Johnson. And he was like one of my dad's closest friends. And this guy was, I would say, one of my, one of, one of my favourite of my dad's friends because he had an affair with the Princess of Oman. And he, he, she ran away with him in 1979 with £10 million in suitcases. What? The news of the world blew the story right up. And he wrote a book called Black Eyes and Blue Blood. 
It's out. It's, it's by Norman Johnson. He died in 2012. But Norman had like the big mansion in Stafford. He had the big old Rolex, the big eight-carat diamond, all the Rottweilers, changed his cars <laughs> like he changed his underwear. And he lived life like it was in Marbella, New York. And he actually worked with Russell Buffalino, who the film The Irishman was based on. Holy shit. So he was, growing up as a kid, I knew that. I thought, wow, this is, my dad's friends would go in the pub and everyone would sort of move away from him. They would stood at the bar and, and they would go, I'll get, and they had like a never-ending supply of 50 pound notes. And it would, you'd see them go to the bar, they keep the change and you'd see them all like running around. But every, every whenever they sort of pulled the money out, everyone would appear and, and everyone else would be stood there like waiting around like it falls, I'd just say. But I knew that they were different. And it was like, I used to love being with my dad. He had like, if he walked in, Sean, he was like, he was mesmerising. He, he was like, he had these still eyes, but he had flat nose, but very good looking man. And he was just, he would just walk in, he was immaculately dressed, but he would treat everyone with respect. But everyone, you, he had like a, a, a shield around him. It was like an aura. And I, as a kid, I was like, fucking hell, I love this. And even my mum and dad's friends, like Donald Sutherland, the Hollywood actor, and like they would come over for, and we'd go for dinner in Langham's. But everyone, he would be like in awe of my dad. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, you're a big star. And Kiefer was like a lot younger at the time. He'd just done Stand, Stand By Me, which was a really great film. And it was like, they was like in awe of my dad. And I thought, fucking hell, these are like famous people. Why are they like that? But whenever we was out, everyone was always in awe of my dad. And I used to say to my dad, dad, what do you do for a living? And he'd go like, because the people at school ask what you do for a living. He'd say, I'm a problem solver, son. I said, what do you mean? He went, well, if someone's got a problem, I'll solve it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He went, well, say, look, someone comes to me, son, they're having problems with like, say, like, the travellers one day this woman they've been terrorised by these travellers for years and they've been say, trying to nick their land and my dad went down there went into their pub on his own and uh, he, he ended up doing what he had to do and this woman wrote me a letter saying we've been to the police we've been to the courts we've tried to hire people we've got employed you come down in one day and solve it we are so indebted to you but my dad wouldn't take any money from them he said son well, they're a really nice family he said but and they deserved my help but he, he, he could be very nice as well and he wouldn't drink with, he didn't really like the company of other gangsters. He, had, he was partners with Eddie Richardson in the unlicensed boxing, but he chose to drink with the window cleaner. or the. And I said, why do you drink with those old mugs? And he, he goes, son, they're not mugs. They go to work from nine to five. They look after their family and they're really decent people. He said, but these people, he said, gangsters won't give you nothing. They just take off you, take off you. They're leeches. He said, see that guy with the window cleaner, you mug off, the poor Harry, the window cleaner. He said, he gave me a bit of work and I earned a million pounds. He said, someone, whatever it was, whatever it was, I can say it now, I'm not implicating my dad, but he, at the time, this this guy's, there was a guy in Norfolk, he's, he, his daughter was going to have a Colombian drug baron. They were storing all their coke in this guy's shed, underneath the shed. Now, this guy got in touch with the window cleaner. He said, do you know anyone who might be, I think it's a load of drugs. He got in touch with my dad. My dad's his son. He said, I didn't move straight away and earned 900 grand out of it. He said, so what gang's going to come to me and tell me he's got a load, a big parcel and fucking get, he said, but he wasn't a drug dealer with that, but he, on this occasion, he moved that from A to B and got his money. Yeah. But he was a, he was a great, as a kid, we would have anything we wanted. My mum was a lot, my mum was nearly 20 years younger than my dad. She was like the glamorous lady, but she was the one who wore the trousers. If my dad was in a pub and she phoned up, he'd go, no, 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 no. And then she'd be straight with his gold spot, straight in his car driving home. You know, like it was, he was petrified of my mum. But she wore the trousers. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. And aside from obviously your dad being a local celebrity almost, what was family life back at home? He was fantastic. My dad, my dad, my dad was a family man. He would come home. We had three Yorkshire Terriers. We had two Rottweilers, and we had a little cat. And we, my dad, my dad would just 
he was an, he was a family man. He loved his mum. He'd go and see his mum Maud every single day. She lived in South London. He would go and see her every day, drop cigarettes off, sit and have a cup of tea with her. She always used to do tomatoes on toast. But my nan had five sisters and a brother who died in a fire in Canada. So she had lots and lots of family members. So as you went into my nan's, all you'd hear is free bell rings, people coming in all day long, every day. And in 1978, my dad was working on a film called uh, The Macintosh Man with... Uh, who was the guy, George James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson, I think it was. And he took them both down to his mum's because she'd loved uh, uh, James Cagney. And, and he was on the crutches at the time. And, he, and my dad was minding him and he took him around to my nan's and it was like the highlight of my nan's life. She had like a picture on, which I'm going to put in my dad's book. of like, And obviously then my dad knew Frank Sinatra because he'd been working with him since the 50s. And Frank had come over and stayed with my dad at Forest Hill where he was living. Did so he, not, did did you he know Rod Stewart? Uh, no, we had a, we had a, we had a funny a running with Rod Stewart in Langham's. Yeah, so yeah, we was we was in Langham's one day. My dad had the back to his back to him, and uh, one of we was making a lot of noise. And uh, honestly, my dad and all his friends, it was on Lauren Pereira, Rose, causing a big. And it, my dad was smoking a big. He always smoked big cohibas. and uh, there was loads of smoke. And you could see Rod, Rod's missus was getting the right arm, and he's, he's he's and he's like kicking, and he's like all like done up like a little tart and uh, and he's and uh, the mind the mind that went over to the table but sort of as my dad turned around he looked at my dad went over to the table he went to Rod like that moved his hands a bit, and then they got up and left straight away and that's when I thought fucking hell and I knew who Rod Stewart was and obviously then my dad would say to me when I said I'm going up London then I'm 17 I want to go to a club he went I'll go and see my pal Lenny at the Hippodrome or, or Johnny Johnny Madden at Stringfellas so every time I used to go there, I didn't want to like do it Sean but I'd go to one day I went is there a Lenny about mate two great big bruises on the door and they went who, who wants to know, mate? I said, oh, it's Jimmy Tippett, uh, Junior. It's Jimmy Tippett's son. He went, two seconds. Next thing you know, Rennie come bowling over. Like, he's a massive lump, Lenny. And he's got his fingerless gloves. And he went, come in, young Jim, come in. He said, but you drop these fucking herbits out, you with me. He said, don't you hanging around with these cunts. I was throwing my language. But no, and then I've had to sit down in a side of bar and he took me all the way home after Sean. It was so, it did have its good things, but also all the doormen would sit there and watch me all night long. You know, like, because obviously they're my dad's friends and they didn't want anything. I'm doing, if I was in the toilet with another man, I mean, you're not taking drugs, so you're not up to no good. I thought, fuck it, I, I, I didn't know, I wanted to, I didn't have half a fuck, couldn't, couldn't do it. Mm. But no, it was uh, fantastic growing up like that. And obviously, my mum my mom and dad had loads, their friends sort of, we used to go to Marbella, we'd go to Freddie Foreman's club, which was Eagles up in Port Benus, And that was like, that was my first introduction into cocaine, really, because they used to have bowls of like probably four or five ounces of coke with playing cards stuck in them. And everyone would just like take a little bit and or go off to the toilet and have a, and all the women are walking about in shoulder pads like sung out of Dallas. And all the guys have got like, like, like sung out of Miami Vice with those snow socks on with the white trousers and the white shoes and the big Rolexes on. And that for me, that was my friends at school, their mums and dads were like builders and you'd see them driving their normal cars at our house. You'd see Ferraris outside and Range Rovers and Rolls Royces and all these characters coming in and out. And then, and then what, the next week, you see one of me, the mum and dad's friends in the paper who just gone, gone down on our robbery or killed someone. And you think, oh, but they was all right. They was, like, it was, it was better. That was normal life. Yeah. It was very similar to, I'd say, an English version of Goodfellas. Yeah. Very, very that, similar. That, that first line of coke then, did you get hooked on it or was it just... I was, do you know what it was, Sean? I was really, I was, I was just about to get really into going to, go into the boxing in a big world. Frank Warren was signing me up with Sports Network. And, I, and I, I was working with some uh, well-known gangsters in South London who were like friends of my dad's, my dad's friends' sons. And we used to go to a place called Charlie's Wine Bar, which was like, I think I remember Peter Bleaks, he's saying, if the roof would have fallen in that night, 90% of South London's underworld would have oh, been really? gone. Yeah. You had like Tony White from the Brinks Mat robbery. You had the Arifs. You had uh, Johnny Fleming, who was on a Security Express robbery, who got extradited back. 
all big, big names. Jimmy Brand, you had all massive, massive players in South London, all the Peckham firm, the Wild Bunch, they used to call them, because as they'd come in, they'd, they'd normally leave someone dead in the toilets or, or the half dead. They were like really evil people. But uh, I loved it. I was like a kid, like a sponge, just soaking up all in this. I was like, fucking hell. And I remember... I didn't touch nothing. I didn't even drink. I didn't even have a drink. I was drinking sparkling water and I used to end up driving a lot of them up to the clubs in London. They go, they bung me a few quid. And then one day he's went, oh, please have a line. Jim, have a line. I remember like, it was chopping it up and I could you get that smell of it. It's like, it smelled like paint stripper. And I was like, I'll just do a little tiny bit, do a little tiny bit. I remember thinking, wow, that's fucking, I, know, I was chatting away. I'm fucking chatting away for the, the, the fast as anything. But I was like, oh, this is great. But then I would just sort of get myself a little half a gram and then the next week it would go to a gram and then it would be an eighth. And then I was got into the E's, which with that, for me, when I was 19 doing the E's, they was just like the white doves of 91. And for me, when I had that first half a dove, I was like, I never danced in my life and I had my hands on the, the banisters in limelight in the church. And next thing, I mean, legs are fucking doing their own little thing. And I'm thinking, fucking hell. And then the next week, I mean, Nigel Ben on the, on the, on the, in the VIP bit, we're on the fucking balcony, like rocking away on these E's. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. And I saw someone who I fucking hated at school. And I'm like, oh, what the hell are you going to have a drink? Come have a drink. And this to me was like, this was like, this was the best thing that had ever happened in my life. And then I started getting involved in selling them. I mean, I, I was getting them. I remember I was paying, what was I paying? I was getting them cheap at the time for like just over five quids, but they would fluctuate like between 20, they used to go up to 25. Five pences, and I was knocking about five pound fifty on the thousand, and I was like doing ten thousand. A lot of my friends who were doing raves, they would come down and buy them off me in bulk, and it was like brilliant. It was like I was thinking, fucking hell, at the weekends I had a Mercedes Cosworth, a little midi gold Rolex. <laughs> I thought I was like fucking Al Capone. I was like, I thought, honestly, I thought I had loads of money stashed <laughs> everywhere, a flat in the Isle of Dogs. I was like fucking not even twenty. My mates at school were going to work for like ten grand a year. I was earning that a week, <laughs> and I'm thinking. But I would then spend most of that and I'd be like in a drug-induced state from Thursday to the Monday and then it'd be like working all week to just get back to Thursday and then restock and then go back again. It was just like, it was just like a drug, mental drug craze. But the E's, that definitely was like, they, they, I had some great times. We had Andrew Pritchard on. Was he involved in your E-dealings? Do you know what it was? <laughs> I, 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 Dave, Dave Courtney was doing all the, all the waves at the scene at the time he used to but Dave was always he was the head doorman at Limelight I caused him havoc to be truthful he, he, he used to suffer a lot of we was in there one night and there was a big fight between the Adamses uh, over North London who I know and you had uh, my lot in South London but they, the South London lot got the better this particular night and there was blood it, it was a uh, it was a uh, you know, like felt wallpaper. I can't remember what they used to have in Indian restaurants. They had that in the limelight VIP bit, but there was blood all up the walls. Yeah. And I went back to the limelight a few weeks later and Dave went, Jim, he said, he pulled me to say, he went, Jim, he said, it's come orders from above. They don't want you in here because of what happened that night. There's blood. I said, well, what do you mean they blame me? He said, well, you're the one being recognised the most. I thought, fuck, I'm 19 years old. He said, but the orders of above had said, like, they didn't want me in limelight nightclub because obviously there had been a, a massive, massive gang fight. But then obviously, obviously, we, then we used to go to Legends in Old Berlin Street. We would, my dad, mum and dad's friends owned the WAG club, so we would go, well, I never, but we'd always go to other clubs. But no, Dave was very much on the scene at the time. But we, we really, we, I, obviously, then Dave was, my dad was very fond of Dave. And at that point, had you had a brushing with the law? Yeah, no, I'd had a few brushes with the law. I'd, I'd been off for fighting and like silly things as, as you do as, as a youngster. I mean, at school, I got arrested for taking a, like an air pistol to school. Silly things what? and an air pistol. You know, yes. like, like an air gun. Like, I wouldn't consider that bad, but obviously today it's very, it, it's bad, isn't it? It's always going to lead to this and lead to that. But no, I did. I, I wasn't, I was more a fighter at school because obviously boxing was in my jeans with my dad and that. So my dad was a very famous boxer, but then he went hooky 
with Mickey Duff because my dad won his first 20 professional fights, which in the 50s was unheard of. No one done that. He won 20 straight fights and had 16 knockouts. Wow. Now, to, to do that, even in this day, you would have a British title fight on your 15th fight. So all my dad's was going on a date with Joan Collins on his 21st, on his, on his 21st fight. He was going on a date with Joan Collins, who Richard Attenborough, my dad's friends, set him up with because they was friends. They lived in Greenwich at the time and my dad was boxed out of Greenwich and they, my dad said to me, oh, son, he said, I was getting 15 quid a fight. So you're talking about 1954, 55. He, he said, son, I, I'm like, I know it would have been, it'd been about 53. And he said, he said, son, he said, I was going on a date this night and then Mickey Duff said to me, if you go down in the third round, I will give you 175 quid. Now my dad said, you imagine I'm going on a date with a beautiful actress he said, I can go with 15 quid or I can go with 100. He said, 15 quid wouldn't still pay for night. He said, but having 175 quid in your pocket in the 50s is like, it's like you going out with 10 grand in your pocket. I said, he said, so what would you do? And you haven't, he said, and boxing wasn't like, yeah. he, he, my dad didn't sit, he was fighting under three different names, my dad. So he put, he put a man in a coma in Wales once and give a dodgy, he was fighting under a different name because back then you could only fight so many fights a month. So my dad was, obviously they were skin and his family, his, his dad was, had poor of his lungs through working as a plasterer. So my dad said, he was looking after the whole family. So my dad said, I, I, I was fighting under three different names just to go and put food on the table, son. He said, so this one particular night, he put the guy in a coma. The guy looked like he was going to die. So then my dad had to give his real name. He was held all night in Wales, in Swansea. But it, obviously it was a very, very tough sport back then. People don't realise. People weren't boxing for like what they are now, for like, it's like business or they were boxing for like endorsements and sponsorship. Back then it, you was fighting to put food on the table. It was a total different sport to what it is now. And it was a lot harder then. So it obviously was imprinted in your genes. Yeah, because obviously my granddad was a bare knuckle fighter. His dad was a bare knuckle fighter. They was called the Fighting Dyers of Lucian. And I've obviously been researching this for my dad's book. So I paid a, a boxing historian £250 to come up with all my dad's fight, fight career. So he's come up with a great big folder for me. It's brilliant. So I've just given that to the woman who's writing my dad's book, <clears throat> Julie Shaw. She's a number one crime writer in the North. She's written like 20 number one bestsellers. Were you Yes. She's yes. a very, very big writer. Yeah, she's like the Martina Cole of the North. So obviously I still have, obviously where I've been sort of, uh, me and Paige uh, been together a year yesterday. So we've sort of, I've, I've been sort of, we've been enjoying our life. So I've got to knuckle down in the new year and, and put, support, put my dad's book together. How did your mum and dad meet? Uh, my dad had a nightclub called The Westerner in Peckham. So which was like, it was a wild house. So my dad like, run a security team there. You had a, one of my dad's close friends was Georgie Cooper. No, no relation of Henry Cooper. He played Jack Nicholson's minder in the Batman film. Mm -hmm. The big bald guy who carries the, the stereo belt with a big handlebar moustache. With George was like, they, so they had their own door team there. My dad, it was my dad's club uh, with Joey Collier, a scrap metal guy from Peckham. And uh, my mum was one of the waitresses, but she said she couldn't stand my dad. She said, oh, he was a bit old because he was a lot older than my mum. But my dad said, she said he sort of grew on her because my mum was like young, petite, blonde. And she goes, oh, he used to get on my nerves a little bit, Jim. And then my dad was like, and he, he kept trying and trying. I think after seven months, she said, I finally went on a date with him and he told me he had a penthouse flat. She said, I didn't know it was a fucking top floor council flat in Forest Hill with all birds shut out the windows and he still had his ex-girlfriend living there. But they, no, but they ended up they ended up getting well. My dad's, my dad's, everyone's given them six months. When they first got together, they said, no, six months, six months. But my dad, my mum, they, they lasted until my dad died of dementia, which was in uh, October 20th, 2016. Wow. And then my mum died five years ago. She died, she, five years later, she died. She was only 73. She, my dad was in his 80s, late 80s. And uh, my mum was uh, 73. She died last year with terminal cancer. Mm. She had it for a year and that, Sean, was the sort of wake-up point in my life. I was going out still doing crate, still at it and doing bits and pieces. But my mum died. So I moved back home to my mum and she sort of started talking to me, telling me stories, just saying, look, Jim, I'm, 
I, I want to leave you all my money because my sister's had a lot of money herself. She didn't need the money what my mum had. And my mum said, look, can't you just li- listen about life? She, she told me so much knowledge. And to this, I actually have listened to everything she said. And I spent that year with her and she died in a nursing home. She was actually bringing her own excrement up in her mouth. Yeah. She, 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 wouldn't, she wouldn't take any... Uh, she wouldn't take any... Uh, tablets no medication she went out on her terms she she ate what she did her belly used to get inflamed they used to have uh, these uh these nurses come around mcmillan nurses and mm. they used to have to inject her stomach to you know to take it down but she wanted to eat what she wanted she was smoking she'd have a glass of lauren perrier every couple of days mm. she'd done it on her terms and then I, I i always thought she was she was such a strong lady and it really she even to this day i still even when i do I think about things, what my mum told me, and I know they're looking up over me and I do want to do the best of my life now. I've, I've dropped out all the toe rags, all the criminals. They're, they would never, there's no honour amongst thieves, Sean. You know, listen, these people, these people would grass you and do bad things. Mm. All this, they don't touch women and children. They're, listen, these people have got no morals. The real people, the people go and work nine to five and look after their families. They're the real heroes. They're the, and the people, the nurses, they're the real unsung heroes. And I want to be a straight worker now, earn a straight pound note, go on lovely holidays with my girlfriend. I want to be with my girlfriend all the time and make and have lovely meals and enjoy life. <laughs> so, growing up, so growing up, was it just you and your sister? Yeah, my sister Carrie, yeah, she's two years younger than me. She married a, a North London guy. So she's, uh, she's, she, she, she went over the other side and my mum said she went, oh, she went over that side. But no, she had a beautiful wedding. Uh, they had a, Terry Adams' wife was there, Ruth. Uh, a lot of the notorious characters from North London were there. But yeah, no, so they got, uh, they got married. But, but it was, my mum wasn't really close with my sister's sister. She was, my sister was, uh, I don't want to say it sound a bit bitter or twisted towards my sister because she's we haven't spoke since my mum uh, done her will because obviously I got left uh, three quarters of the of the will and my mum's reasons were because I didn't have really anything but I I'd been a son when she was dying I was there every single day when she was dying for a year when my sister went over three times which I think personally I shouldn't I'm disclosing this now I think it's disgusting as a daughter she I think it's disgusting how she treated my mum and then she expected to have all that money. But she didn't. She wasn't a daughter. But were you close growing up? Protective of older. I was always protective if she had boyfriends. I'd always go and punch her heads in if they started, or <laughs> if they dropped her out. I'd always go and beat them up. But no, no, we wasn't really. I mean, actually, no, we weren't that close. Actually, I remember being at the bus stop once. I drove past. I'm seventeen with BMW waving at her, and it was like a cog night. You know, we weren't that. No, we weren't that close. Actually, no. But no, no. But we were still like. I, I'm more. My mum and dad were sort of big, big characters. And I sort of grew, I, I always wanted to be like my dad, which I could never be. I couldn't be one-tenth of the man he was. But I, I, I'm trying my hardest now to be a better person. And I, and I like the person I've become. Mm. So your first arrest then was gone at school. What was your second arrest? My second arrest was, funny enough, for a theft of a Suzuki Jeep roof. Do you remember that? My mum had a little Suzuki Jeep. And I and I took the roof off one day and I'd frayed all the, all the bit what you had to fold it into the front bar. It shed like one of these SJ410 things. And I remember, remember outside the club and I, I had the car and it was, right next to a fire station. I thought, oh, that's got the same roof. And I knew how to take it off. So I took this car. Like an idiot, I was being fucking filmed by a fucking <laughs> fireman over the road. So I got nicked nick for theft at 17, went to court and got a £550 fine. And then obviously a, about six months late, no, 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 when I was 21, so it was, uh, we'd had a sale or return off a jeweller in Hatton Garden on about 50, 60 grand worth of watches. We took them, we didn't, we didn't, End up t- taking them back, we just sold the watches and went out partying. And then I ended up getting a theft charge for that. And then the judge, I remember going to Croydon Crown Court, it was, and the judge went, No, 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 this is a, you're going to get a, a term of imprisonment. This is a short, sharp shock mm. to make you never come back to prison again. And I remember getting six months, and it was like, oh, I was like, 
It's like my head was spinning round. And what was worse, when I went downstairs, as they put you onto the van, you're in the handcuffs. It was some prick I used to go to school with, a right arsehole. He was one of the group four security guys. He was like grinning like anything because we didn't never we never saw eye to eye at school. And it was like, it was he's having his last moment of glory. And I thought, you dog. So they took me to High Down, which was over Banstead. And I remember going in and they give you your, your little fireproof blanket and your little your bedding and your, your, your bowl and your, your razor and whatnot. And I remember, like, in the morning, you just hear the, 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 it was like, it was just surreal sound. You could hear it echoing, and you just hear the screws with it. Like, they, I think they used to do it on purpose swing their keys, you know, <laughs> jingle jangle, and then you'd opening up the doors. They go, breakfast, breakfast. It was a, I was sentenced on a Friday, but I was only there for about six weeks, and I was sent, sent over to Ford Prison, which was really cool. But I met some, it was then I thought, no, but I quite like this. I went, and it was like, I'd met, uh, the Queen's cousin was there. He was, uh, they on the Jewhurst Butcher's Chain. He was named Michael, let me think of his name. I'll tell you what, you can Google this. It's, he, he cut his wife's head off and drove about no. in a mini for like, say, like two months. He was the Queen's cousin. So he was, he'd been detained in a hospital and he was in Ford. Michael, what was his name? And I'll tell you what, who was there? Ernie, Ernest, Ernest, uh, who, who was the one, Ernest, uh, who swindled Nissan out of all the millions. Ernest Shannon, he's the Shannon, he, he swindled Nissan out of bit, uh, like tens of millions of pounds. But even in the prison, they was holding, they was having their own private caterers come in and sitting at the table, eating what they wanted. And, and I used to think, one day I went to the library and I went, no, sorry, uh, Mr. Shannon's having a private works for me. But then I saw that money is power and, mm. and, and power and these people, but in Ford, you, you had a better type of arsehole, so to speak. Mm. It was more, and there was a lot of like people in for famous crimes, you know, like, and you had like the sort of, or it was like if the football had got done for drink driving, they'd always be sent to Ford. <laughs> but that was the first and only time I ever went to a decap prison. Then after that, it was then I was away for attempted murder, uh, handling stolen goods, uh, commercial burglary. It was, I obviously then, it was, I was a full-time career career criminal so which was first after them <laughs> no then I was just bang at it basically so when I come out of prison my mum would come and visit me there she went this would be the first and the only time I'll visit you if you choose this as your career I will never ever come and see you again and I felt sorry we, me and my mum spoke at great lengths when she was dying and I said mum she went why did you go down there? I mm. said mum to be honest cocaine got hold of me for a lot of years Sean it got hold of me for like a good 20 years but I loved that lifestyle I loved going out in the. it was just it was a great 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 thing for me and I was out with my friend the other day, funny enough, Phil, he used to play Des Barnes in Coronation Street. <laughs> and he that. went through similar things, Phil. And uh, we were talking the other day and he was telling me stories when he was on Coronation Street. And obviously, I, I, all these people have been friends for me and mine for 30 years. I've got a lot of celebrity friends. And it's like, everyone's had that same problem with drugs. And I think it's drugs, what people don't realise, really do get older people. Sometimes, and I've got an addictive personality anyway. So if I like something, it's... Full on. It's full on, yeah. yeah. But now, so I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I do. I every now and again, I might, I might, I might grab. If I'm out and I'm drunk, so I'm going to do a little line. I might have a little bump, but I'm not really. For me now, it's all about going out for a nice meal, being with my girlfriend, going shopping, sitting indoors, watching a nice thing on Netflix, and having loads of sweets. <laughs> it's like my whole life has gone to complete 360. I'm probably like boring old twat now, but no, but no. We, I, I like my whole life's changed, and I would. I think that a lot more needs to be done with drugs. I think drugs is the real root of all evil. So when you moved out of your parents' house, where did you go? I was staying with friends. I had my own flat, first of all, in a, in Cana I had one in Canary Wharf. I had one over in the Isle of Dogs. But then obviously when money started going down, I was sofa surfing with various friends. Or if we went out on a mad one, a lot of the guys I was working with were all, all brink smack guys. Bundles of money. There was so much money in South London in the 90s. Big, big money. 
And obviously, we would, my friends would like, we'd go drinking Blackheath and we'd go to the Hamilton Hotel. They would, they'd hide, they would hide the whole hotel and it'd just be for the faces. You'd have like people like Danny Roth, who was a hitman who killed Charlie Wilson. You'd have Jimmy Brand, Johnny Fleming, who was extradited back from Miami. These are like very famous criminals and very powerful criminals. And Eugene Carter, who was a massive drug dealer. We'd all be at the hotel, everyone would be partying. No one would have to pay for drinks. And then there'd always be, we'd stay there. Or if I'd go back to my friends over in North London, stay with him for a few days in Hatton Garden. And it, it, I was just, we, we, we didn't know where from one day to the next where you'd end up. Mm. And I like that bohemian lifestyle. It was nice. It was like some sometimes I'd be sleeping in the car. So, uh, you know, if, if things were bad that week, I'd be sleeping in the back of the car. And I can remember like my legs really hurting. So it wasn't always as glamorous as people think it is. So your crime started to escalate. Really bad, Sean. Yeah, and the coke then then it got worse, and it would be like we would be. I mean, my uncle, my one of my sorry, my godfather was one of uh, London's richest men. His name was uh, Johnny Till, T E A L. He was in the Sunday Times Rich List. He 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 was very. He come from the Peabody Estate in South London, which was known as like where the, the scum of the earth lived. It was like it was social housing at its worst level. And uh, he come out. He in the sixties. He invented. Uh, he started doing reconditioned engines and gearboxes for cars. And he, it just went massive. He ended up buying his own massive yacht in uh, south of France. He had a house in Bel Air. He had his own private jet. And he had, in, when I was growing up in the 80s, he had a Ferrari with one John, a Porsche with John 1, and a Rolls Royce with 007. He owned those, that, those, that, that number plate is, is, is priceless. He still got it. And it was on a white Rolls Royce silver spirit. And when I was christened, I was christened in that Rolls Royce with 007. So my mum said, you was always a flashback. <laughs> and, 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 and what chance did you have? You had like, you, 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 all, the, all this going on in your life. So no, I mean, and I always like to stand out from the crowd. I've always been a flash fucker, but it's, but now, so I'm very humble now. And I do realise, it, it, I, I wish I, I do wish I'd have done things different, if I'm honest. I wish I'd have gone to... But in saying that, when I hear of all people, like these bankers and these stockbrokers, they're worse than, they're worse than the criminals on the coke and, and deranged and, 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 and debauchious. They're, they're, like, really bad. So you said your mum tried to put the brakes on, but you didn't listen. Was there anyone else talking? My dad never... No. See, my dad, he, he'd say to me, son, slow down, what are you doing with these people, blah, blah, blah. He never, ever told me off, Sean, never. He ne if he would have put discipline in me from a young age, I could have probably gone on to be a great boxer, but he never, my dad was, my dad was very laid back. He was too laid back. My mum was like, she, poor, my poor mum, I'd probably put her in that early grave. But it's, she's, no, she she tried and tried. I mean, my sister went up, my sister was right, she, my sister was the bad child. She, as we were kids, she, my sister would be out taking LSD at bloody, uh, she got done for racist remarks at a private school, got chucked out of private school with one of the great train robbers' daughters. She was like, she was ruthless, my sister. And then she got chucked out of the next school. And then she left school with no qualifications. And I left school with loads. And my mum got, through my mum, she got her job in Price Waterhouse through a friend she had there. Then my mum got a job in uh, Wall Street in America. But my mum funded her to get her diploma in stockbroking. So my mum done all this for my sister. And she never acknowledged that, like, what my mum done for her. But my mum tried with me, she when I went up to Hull, I got married and she tried to throw those financial carrots, but it was just, I, I just, I think I was always destined to be a career criminal. But was that a, a oh, sorry, I can't. Was that an example of your father though? With your father I think he was up growing up and seeing my dad and his friends, but then I didn't realise what they'd done. They'd built up their reputations through like being, they'd come from nothing in their lives. They'd all had poor families. They would, they'd gone on, double. I thought I could just be 19 and be like turning to my dad. Mm -hmm. And real life isn't like that. It's, I don't just, be, you have to work and uh, years and years of getting respect and getting a good name and, and being involved with various firms. I mean, but I, I saw my dad like that and just thought, I was just going to be like that. 
Mm. And, it, and it, life isn't like that. You have to build up respect and, and rapport and, and, and build up relationships with people. So but, what was your longest stretch in the next prison? I, no, my, longest, my longest one was when I was in Hull. I was uh, up for two Section 18s on a doorman. Of, I knocked two doormen out in a, in a, in a club called The Office, a uh, lap dancing club in Hull. And I was on bail for those. And then I'd had a row. Someone attacked me at a party, a big bodybuilder, and he had me in a headlock. I've grabbed the knife off the side, trying to get him off me. And so obviously his face is cut to ribbons. Then I've turned around and stabbed him there, which is, and it, and it pierced his bowel. So I've left, I, and then he still didn't have, he's still holding me. So I've grabbed the cooker grate, uh, the, the cast iron bit off the cooker, smashing him with that. But there was a girl standing behind me and obviously she's got knocked out. Everyone who was in the, in the party got was all on the floor and I'm the only one standing. But obviously the, the thing, the cooker had like little curved things on it. So it's caught my head. So there's blood from my own, so my own DNA is all over the place. I had no chance. So the next day I remember I got home and I saw police cars coming to my house in Beverly, near the race course. I had an apartment there and I jumped out the window. I had a bag and a friend of mine picked me up, took me back to London. She was a film producer, funny enough, and she, she thought it was all right. She, she loved it. She thought it was great. And uh, no, then I was on the run, got caught. In, I got caught on the 29th of December, 2004. 30 police come kicking there. They went through the front windows and everything. But they caught me in West Jewel, which is over in Epsom in Surrey, took me back to Hull as a security risk. And I, and I remember they, they, they moved me to Strangeways, Army Jail. They was, they, they, I lost my train. I had one train. It was, all, they, it was all psychological what they were doing to me. And then they sent me to psychologists. I had to see psychologists. No judge or court would listen to my story because they said what went on in that party wasn't of a normal human being. Why did he do that to you, though? We'd had a fight. He tried to hit me, try and chin me, but he couldn't. So then he's grabbed me because obviously he hasn't chin me. He's tried to grab me. So he's a, he's a like, big like, bodybuilder at the time. But uh, then his statement really was really detrimental to me. I mean, it said he was in fear of his life. He was like, oh. he was having he was having flashbacks. Obviously, the, the personal victim statement was, and obviously the crime scene looks, even when I saw it, and I was showing people in, in prison, they went, and I said to my sister, what am I looking at? And he went, like, L plates. I went, well, what's L plates? He went, life. I went, whoa, well, he's not fucking dead. He went, he went no, Jimmy, this, you, you're on two section 18s on the doorman. This is a section 18, this is attempted murder, like section 18 with 10. He said, you're on an afraid charge. He said, you, the two other people have been attacked violently at a party. He said, this is, a, this is, they, and this is when IPPs 2004, 2005 were coming about. And I went, no, no, I was shit myself. And then he, I had to see a psychologist because when I went in front of the judge, he went, no, he said, oh, not until Mr. Tibbetts, uh, Health, uh, uh, mental, mental health has been assessed. So I saw the psychologist, and then they said I was totally all right. And they said, and the court, went, the court went, no, no, we want to get a better one from London because we don't believe him. So I the court don't even believe their own psychologists. <laughs> that they, they really. And, I, and when I said to my sister, he went, "I'm afraid I can't represent you anymore." He went, "What do you mean?" He went, "I've been told by the by this has come from the judges that no no solicitors in whole can represent you." And what was the altercation over? The, it was over, but they said, but what it was, I, funny enough, Tony Thompson, who wrote the book Gangs, A Journey into the Heart of the British Underworld, had featured me in a big news, art, news article in The Observer called Hull is Britain's New Drug Capital. And there was a big picture of me standing by a Ferrari and it said, former armed robber Jimmy Tippett Jr. has, has made home in Hull with some of the most notorious faces. And then the local papers then started calling us the Mafia Men. So then obviously it become it become like it was it was a, a political case. And the, so the, obviously I couldn't have a solicitors in Hull. I had to employ someone from Tucker's solicitors it was in Manchester and they end up defending and they, and they said to me do you know you, you, we've got to get this case out of hole because you are going to you are going to you're going to be served you're going to get a life sentence I went what do you mean? Went, well, we'll try and get you a low tariff. I went, no, what do you mean low tariff? I don't want a, I don't want a life sentence. I, don't, I can't have a life sentence. And he went, no, no. So we ended up getting the case moved to Leeds, which was really good. And it was a recorded judge on the day from London. 
So the judge, upon reading the papers, went, the guy was ready to give evidence, but apparently then he didn't want to give evidence. He said that he'd had gunshots at his house and bits and pieces, which was, I don't know what happened, but it's, uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago, so I get a bit of amnesia. But no, it was so he'd had gunshots at the house. He'd been threatened on the day of the court. The woman had told so many stories, the lies, that it was so conflicting that they, they had to throw, they, they, they didn't want to use her because they said she was a bad witness. So the CPS come back and said, would you go guilty to a section 20 with excessive self-defence for 15 months? And I thought, well, that means I get out today because of the time I've done. I went, so the, so the, so I said to my sister, what? He went, listen, take it, bite their hand off right now. He said, I'm not even going to accept your answer. I'm telling him yes. So I went, yes. But as soon as that happened, the, ju- the, the, the judge went, we've got to stop the case. Apparently, Mr. The, there's police officers from Humberside who want to talk to Mr. Tippett in holding cells. Went downstairs. They said, we're arresting you now for two Section 18s and a fray charge and another nightclub in Hull. So that then stopped me because I would have been released from court that day, Sean. And they went, well, now. So then I've had to go on another trial which then all these people in the hole, this was back in the hole, so it was, there was a political case. So in the hole, I had all these juries come in and they were going, all right, all right, they looked like they were just on the local council state in the hole. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I'm getting a lot guilty here. So I put my Specsavers glasses on. I had my little uh, golf, I had my little Pringle jumper with my shirt hanging over, tripped up when I was giving evidence, like Moody trip up like, and they was all laughing. On the way, on, the, on the lunchtime, the judge went, no, I, I want to discharge the jury. I went, what? What do you mean, discharge a jury? He went, no, they was all very fond of Mr. Tippett. He said it looked like it was going Mr. Tippett's way. Mr. Tippett's been playing this court like a playing this court like a circus, being with his little antics. So the judge saw what I was doing. I was making out, I was writing all of it along. I was, I was playing, of course I was playing the fucking judge and the jury. But then obviously, then the next, when they brought in a new jury, it was like they brought in fucking police academy. They was all stood there in fucking, uh, it was emotionless. It was all like, it was like they was all robots. They was all stood there like that, glaring at me. So I was found guilty of an affray, which I didn't do. And they give me, the judge instantly give me an 18 month uh, consecutive, which was on top of. So he could have done it concurrently and I would have still got out that day. But then he, I was found not guilty of the two Section 18s, which I was guilty of. And I wasn't guilty of the, 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 the non violent affray. But he gave me the maximum sentence and then give me another six months. So I end up with 34 months. Then he put me on MAPA, which is, this had just come out as well. It's called Multi Agency public protection so they considered me to be a danger to the public so when I was released on bail when, sorry when I was released from prison I ended up being in the, what, a place called the Wolds and when I was released from there they I went obviously I had to see the police the uh, probation the social services they all sit around once a week and have a meeting on you and if they so obviously I got nicked again on the 6th of the 6th of the 6th 666 and I called it my book Devil's Sentence <laughs> I got nicked for two section 18s again on, I've had a row with somebody two section 18s but then all those charges were dropped so then I, it took me 8 months to get parole and get back out and where did they send you? That was back in, so I'd moved back down to London to be with my cousin over in Orpington in Kent. Uh, and then they moved me back, to, they took me back to Highdown. And what was it like in Highdown back then? Highdown was okay. It was uh, funny enough because I knew loads of people in Highdown. So it was a local jail to London. So, and, and Surrey. So every, I knew, I knew everyone there. And there was a lovely prison officer there called Mr. Calloway. He's been there for years. He became really friendly with Terry Adams as well. He's really nice. He used to bring me food in and like cans of coke. And it, he was a nice guy, Sean. You know, like not all prison officers are bad. You do get you do get ninety percent of shit. But then saying that, I'd said to everyone else in a prison with a hundred people on a wing, 97, 97 of those people are shitbags. Mm. They're scumbags. I, I would write. Sometimes you'd have a more intelligent conversation with a prison officer than you would an inmate, and, that, and that's facts. And obviously, now I went back to prison. Obviously. Uh, I was set up in 2019. I've been, uh, I'd done some business in Brighton with some people. It went a bit pear-shaped. I was walking in York on the 17th of December, 2019. 
Uh, I was in uh, York with some friends. We ended up partying back in a hotel room. And next thing I heard, Jimmy, Jimmy. I've looked out and I've seen blue lights everywhere. So I had an eighth of coke on me. I've put that down top of my trousers. I'm thinking I'm not going to be, I've done nothing wrong. So then I said, put your hand on your head uh, uh, and do pigeon steps towards us. And as I've looked there, there was a helicopter. There was dogs outside of me. And I was like, I thought, I've been on it for like five, six hours. I'm, I'm doing pigeon steps, but you, you, I'm looking at all these red dots all over me, guns, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, your head's spinning. I'm like, and then it's bang, it's like being, and I was like, at the moment, the cop hit me with a gun, but he'd done, he done me a rear stack for like his safety. And I was thinking, I was trying to get the arms around to get the gear out to like to empty it. And I remember we got back to York police station and it was like, it was like, it was like surreal. And they went, we're arresting you for an armed robbery at uh, Liberty's nightclub in Brighton with 60,000. You held a gun in someone's head and took 60,000 out of the safe. I went, don't know what you're talking about. You said yes. I went, no, I didn't fucking say yes. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. So then obviously I, when we was at the counter and he's reading the charges out, I've got the Coke out the top and tried to swallow it, but the bag was too big. And so the copper is strangling me and I'm on the floor, but the copper, I give me his due. I don't want to get him. So he's going to me, just don't swallow it and I will let... And, and it, I said, I'm going to get recalled. I'm going to get recalled. I was going, it won't go to the, with the police. I mean, it won't go. He just looked at me in the eyes and said, it won't go. I will destroy it. But I got arrested for the coke. But funny enough, when the police from Brighton picked me up the next day, there was no coke. So he did stick to his word. And he later messaged me on Facebook when I got out of jail and said, I stuck to my word. I just didn't want to see you swallow that amount and you would have, you would have died. Yeah. So they're not all, all police aren't that bad. <laughs> but Brighton, they did set me up. So... I eventually, a friend of mine called Paul Anderson from Manchester, he uh, used to lots of nightclubs in Liverpool. He was the one who went round where we was on the 27th of November, where they said I'd done a robbery, went round to Leeds, all the bar owners, hotels, and got CCTV and statements, sent it to my solicitor. So they dropped the robbery charge, but they said, but the probation still deemed, because the gun was mentioned, said that because of my past and my name that uh, I'd have to go through to the parole board so I got released on April the 4th 2020 coming out of the prison Rochester prison where I was in it was like a ghost town I, I said can I get a taxi I've got two big bags I went can't get a taxi went, COVID I went, what do you mean <laughs> walking along the streets there's no one on the streets I'm walking down the road it's like a beautiful summer's day but there's no one about and it was like being a zombie, uh, one of these films. It was like there was there was no one. And I thought, I got to the train station. I said, oh, you've got to wait two hours. There's only special trains running for like key workers. I went, I've just been released from prison. And he went, no, you still got to wait for two hours. So I remember it was just like, it was, it was mad. It was like, I couldn't believe it. Going back to the situation with the doorman then, what yeah. was that about? Joey, you know, I was just a fucker, Sean. I was just, I was in, I was in the hole one night, uh, I was just, I was on the coke and if someone looked at me the wrong way, I was, I was the first one to smash in and I, these two guys were stood at the bar, they'd get a bit leery and I remember chilling and both just went running over and it was snowing at the time, it was, uh, it was around November and I remember running outside and it was like the red light districts of Hull, my friend had a lap dancing club called The Office and I was running up the road and I remember kept falling over in the snow at the conference, it was easy for the coppers, they just jumped on me but I was on bail for that. So, but then that come to nothing, well obviously it didn't come to nothing, I, I got I found not guilty. And that wasn't the attempted murder charge? No, that was that, that was on the, the another guy called Paul Morfitt. I can mention his name because it was all went through the criminal system, yeah. Paul Morfitt in a hole. And how did that come about? Well, we, we'd been at a party at his house that night and uh, he, he was he was one of these ones who used to get quite aggressive and in, in drink and drugs. And obviously I'd been rowing with somebody at the party and then he tried to sideline me, but I didn't go down and obviously fighting back and he's, he, was a, he was on the steroids, he was a big, 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 big old unit then and he was holding me in a headlock. 
And obviously, where, where the kitchen sink was, was in the kitchen, the kitchen party, there was a knife on the kitchen side. I didn't have a knife on me. And where I, and obviously, they said this in court. They could, because obviously, they put the little markers on, you know, where you had the crime scene. And obviously, where I'd reached for the knife, I hadn't opened the drawer. Because I'd reached for it, in being fit, in fear of my life, they, I, that was the first thing that come to hand. If there'd been a rolling pin there, I would have grabbed the rolling pin and hit him with that. But there happened to be a knife on the draining board and I grabbed that. Mm. So really, that all, that's all taken into te technicality of, of when you're arrested for something like that. If you go with a knife, that's premeditated. Or if I would have opened that drawer, I would have been thinking of opening the drawer to get the knife. So because the knife was there, I hadn't, if, I said if there would have been a lemonade bottle, if there would have been anything closer, even if there was a tea towel, I would have used anything what I could grab because I couldn't breathe. Someone had me in a headlock and he was a powerful, big, muscular guy. Is it like, you can't, you can only use so much force to fight back? Yeah, they said, the they, which they said, because I'd already yeah. cut him on the knife in se on the face in several places, mm. they said, by, if I, if I, because I stabbed him once, that was excessive force of self-defense. Mm. They said that I could, because I'd smashed it into him, but what happened was, when I smashed it into him, it burst his bowel. So what happened was, his, his poo was leaking into his belly. Mm. So when, when, when the next day when I, I was in the car, I, I think I delayed concussion because I kept pulling this, I said to this woman, Dawn, can you pull over so I can be sick? I was being sick and I was, my friend was on the phone at this stage and he said, Jim, he said, Paul Morphe's just died. I said, what do you mean? It's like he was winding me up a little bit, this guy. And he went, no, he's died. He said, but he's just been, they, they brought him back to life. But apparently he died three times on the operating table because he was, he was, because where he'd been stabbed, he didn't realise for like two or three hours, but already then, that he's, he's like, excrement was leaking out of his bowel. So he, so they opened him up from his groin up to oh. his neck. He'd had like 400 stitches, I think, 300 stitches, they said, 372 stitches, opened him up the front to, to obviously sort out the bowel. And it was like, obviously, because of that, and obviously his personal victim statement saying that he said that I was like an absolute lunatic. And obviously with the judge, re I'd had a lot of fights in the hole because I was a cockney living up in a northern town. They said that basically I was a lunatic and obviously my past and my name and obviously being in the papers, bloody this and that. It was like, it was it was an open shut case for them. Yeah. But obviously I thought, it, I saw two lots of psychologists and I, and I actually, I, I, I actually won. So what is it about fighting? What does it give you? Nothing now, Sean. Do you know what it is? I said, me and my girlfriend was out the other day. We was we was uh, having words. So <laughs> I think I'd had a text message on my phone. And it was, it's my girlfriend's very fiery, but she's got a right to with me being who I am. But uh, two guys come over and, are you all right? Are you all right? She went, no, I did fuck off. She went, it's me having to go at him. It's not the other way around. But now, Sean, I know what I'm capable of. I haven't got to use that force because if I use that force, I know it's going to end up with me being on a prison van. So I do, I, I have to hold back. It's, don't get me wrong, I've been out 20, 30 times up north and could easily have a fight every night of the week. But part of me knows I can, what I can do and I have to count to 10 and know that it's going to result in me being arrested, putting in handcuffs and potentially going straight to prison. What enabled you to get to that point? I think uh, I've always been pretty angry. My mum was a very angry person. My dad was very calm. I, never, I saw my dad have one fight. One fight in his life I saw my dad have. And that was like, we was in the Spieler one night and there was a guy called uh, The Plum. And that's his nickname. I can't, because that's his, uh, he just stabbed, he'd come in my dad's friend's club, Harry Hayward, Flash, uh, Flash Harry Hayward, a gangster from South London. And he had a chance in Deptford. And uh, he come in the club one night and stabbed the doorman, opened the doorman up really bad. So Harry ran in the office, grabbed his gun, ran after him and shot him in the ass. Then the next day he'd gone to, through to a nice guy called Bugsy who works on the fruit stall in Lucia Market. 
and stabbed a samurai sword in him and opened him up and like, literally right opened it. The guy was a psychopath. He used to go to a pub and open people up for fun. You know, he was, a, mm. he was a, no one wanted to be around him. They, they called him the plum. And he come in, he was having a sh- shootout with one of the families from Deptford one day at my dad's bill. My dad went, fucking any winners get broke, fucking someone's paying for it. I went, don't what? He like, my dad like, laughed at him. He was like, well, I've ducked back. But then one day someone said, Jim, he's just coming in the spill. He's coming in the spill. And they had, it was like a, a flat above the kebab house. So as he was coming in, my dad went running over. He had like his, his suit on. And the geezer's come up with a big knife. And I remember my dad just went, crash, one right hand. And my dad hit him. His face, it looked like Sean. It was like something out of a cartoon. His face went all distorted and it was like his face was like it was like it was like, I've never seen my dad and my dad hit him and took the knife off him and then rammed it straight in his shoulder like rammed it straight he's oh. got a big blade and my dad rammed it straight in his shoulder and it literally it pierced him to like where the carpet was yeah. I think they, I think when they come out they, they couldn't get him out because the carpet was like the knife was so wedged in and I went and I was at the top of the stairs and I went Jim get young Jim away get young Jim away so we went down the back of the fire exit and my dad got in, my dad had a Rolls Royce at the time. We got in Rolls Royce, we drove home. My dad went, ah, son, I was only fucking about like He said, don't listen, don't, because I was out like, at 13. And my dad went, no, I was only fucking about something. You didn't see what you saw. And I remember being sitting there thinking, wow, my dad, like, he was, in. but I saw my dad do it and he hit him so hard. And obviously, growing up around Lewisham and, and those areas, I heard the stories about my dad. And obviously, when we walked in places, everyone went, oh, everyone stood up or everyone wanted to be his friend. And obviously, then, obviously, being my dad was a bo- famous boxer, he was always in the boxing news. And then I'd be at school, one of the PE teachers would say, oh, look, I've got this magazine. Your dad was in it last night. There's a big thing, so, like a big thing on my dad. And then I started thinking, then it, I, I started like thinking, hang on a minute. And I'd see my mum and dad, I'd see my friends at school, their dads would drop them off in like full, full fiestas and full whatever. And then my mum and dad was just, that, or they'd come to the open evening they'd be walking in like the fucking stars of the show it'd be like we was at the BAFTAs or say and all the, you see all my friends going look at your mum and dad they look so glamorous and it was as a kid I was like fucking hell I, I love this this is this is what I want I mean you speak so highly of your dad what were the best and worst memories of him? There's no worst memories apart from when he uh, got dementia when he was 80 that was uh, for me really really hard to see somebody you love who's the most powerful man on the planet it's to me my dad he was my hero and seeing my dad get dementia and going into a psychiatric unit and we had to go to the psychiatric unit and it was, a lot of probably viewers won't remember the film, you'll probably remember Sean, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and it was it was just, I was laughing, me and my mum was laughing at the people in there which, because it, it was it was highly amusing because you, you, you couldn't register it and then obviously, and I would wind my dad up and he goes, son, what do you keep fucking winding him up for? And then he goes to me, who's that woman there? I went, that's your wife, you silly bastard. He went, Oh, she's nice looking, though. He said, she's a nice lady. He went, is she really? I went, and my mum was like crying because she went, how does he remember you? You're a little fucker. And he doesn't even know me. I've been married to him for 40 odd years. But to see that decline, and obviously when he went into the nursing home, his own brother-in-law, who was visiting him up at this stage, Sean, ended up in the same nursing home next door and they didn't even know who each other was. So that to see, and then one day, my dad was being manhandled by one of the like nurses and my dad's best friend uh, was a guy called Paul Moriarty who played Hatchet Harry in Lockstock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he also played Razors in Long Good Friday. Paul ended up grabbing hold of the nurse and went, if ever you do that again, there will be a problem. Do you understand me? And everyone recognised him because he's always been on telly and that. And obviously that stopped. And then Dave Courtney obviously visited my dad as well. And obviously a lot of the nurses went, oh, Dave Courtney's been up. And my dad had a lot of other infamous friends who used to visit him. And obviously then it, it stopped. But obviously it was... To see that, that was my worst, to see four years. When he actually died on the 20th of October, 2016, mm. my mum phoned me. I was just getting in from a party in Brighton and she went, Jim, uh, your dad's died. I went, you messed about you. Why would I say something like that? And it was just me being out my head and just didn't really understand what was going on. And I was quite, it, a big weight was lifted off my shoulder. I was glad 
because my dad, if he could see how he was, mm. he wouldn't want to live like that. Mm. He would he would have said, son, why can't you put one in my head and just be gone with me? He said, because you wouldn't let anyone you love listen. The stories you told us about your dad then, it's yeah. all like people are getting bullied or victimised and he's got this sense of justice. Yeah. Where, where did he get that sense of justice from? He had very good parents, Sean. His mum was a... Uh, she was, funny enough, she was a, a she, they come from a Welsh family originally, but she was born in Hoxton in East London. His dad was in the army. His dad was a sergeant major in the army. His grandfather, they was all army men. And uh, one of my, uh, my great-great-grandfather, he, he, was, he was awarded uh, bravery services. They was fighting. He got beheaded when they was coming into battle in World War One. He was a Samuel Tippett. He was a, you can go, someone sent me a, a thing on it, a historian, and he got beheaded no in a World War One. Yeah. Holy so he got, got awarded loads man. of medals for obviously going into battle, which wow. they was very army people. They was, there was no criminal criminality in any of the family. My dad was obviously the first person to go professional because obviously his, his, his dad and his dad were bare knuckle boxers, but they was army men and they was, they was, they was hard grafters. They was workers. They weren't, no, apart from my uh, dad's brother-in-law, Fred, he was a criminal, but my dad was, my dad obviously, he got fell in with the boxing and crime that goes hand in hand. He sounded like the Robin Hood of the uh, underworld there. Yeah, he was, but obviously <laughs> he, grew, he grew up with Ronnie and Reggie. Ronnie and Reggie were fr uh, friends of his from the age of 12, but then my dad told me when he was young, he said, son, he said, look, they're crazy. He said, there's no value around them. He said, all these people, like, these people put themselves around him. He said, look, they're, they're all idiots, son. None of them have got any money. They, none of them have had a life like what I've had. My dad like, would go to New York, he would travel the world, he had friends all over the world. I mean, he knew Asa Arafat. That he used to go have meetings with him in, in the Park Lane Hilton. He knew that a lot of the Saudi royal families, he used to arrange security for them. One of, the, I, I don't know if I can say, I won't say the name, but one of the princes uh, got accused of a, uh, a lady tried to set him up in a London uh, hostess club. And my dad uh, went and spoke to this club and got everything retracted because it was they was they were trying to set, sting him. And my dad then got called to the Hilton Hotel where they had a, a penthouse suite. There was the the main one of the kings were there. He sat my dad down. He said, oh, what would you like? Uh, and my dad said, I'll tell you what you can give me. Uh, give me 40 pounds. And the, and the king looked at my dad and went, what do you mean? He went, 40 pounds. He went, what do you mean? He went, that's my expenses up here today. He went, he said, well, well, I'll give you thousands. What do you mean? My dad went, no. And with that, that's what I didn't realise. My dad, obviously didn't know it, but my dad was, was doing justice in his right way. But then his name become, his legacy stands this day, Sean. I can go to certain places in London. And obviously my dad's best friends were like Bernie Eccleston. Uh, uh, Sterling Moss, uh, Frank Waterman, who was a Speedway Motor King racer, who went on to do be a big gold bullion robber. Uh, there was Georgie Walker, the, the boxer who built Brent Walker up, lost it all, uh, built Bright Marina, and then he went off to Russia and his daughter married into royalty. My dad's friends were like, every one of them had like the most fascinating story, <laughs> like he did. And to, to grow up, like Donald Sutherland was my dad's lifelong friend. So to grow up as a kid and see all these people, and obviously film directors and, and producers were always at the house because they always wanted to get involved my dad in something. And it was like, I, I really loved that. Because he obviously had a lavish lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Up, but how did he go from, obviously, he had three different names boxing, putting food on the table to then turning to this... He got into nightclubs. He had the first... My dad had a lot of black friends. And in the 60s, a lot of uh, West Indians had come over to London. And my dad opened one of the first black uh, reggae clubs called the El Petito in Lucian. And they used to have uh, Jimmy Cliff, is it? One of the reggae singers and a lot of the big, big people. And my dad had Roger Daltrey working for him <laughs> as a cleaner, cleaner. He used to sweep up the floors. And Roger Daltrey used to say to my dad, can't you get me into the singing? And my dad was like, one of his best friends, one of his biggest fans was a guy called Ronnie Scott, a famous jazz musician Remember? who had Ronnie Scott's club. And I've got pictures of my dad with his boxing, his second boxing manager, Benny Huntman, 
who was whose partner was none other than Mylansky. That was his. There was a book called Shadowlands. I mean, I've got a photographic memory, so I remember everything. But no, uh, Benny Huntman was like he was the biggest boxing promoter, but he was also uh, American partners with uh, Mylansky. So they started all the casinos in London sixties. So then when uh, Freddie Mills, who was my dad's boxing promoter, got shot dead, my dad was one of the main suspects along with uh, Benny Huntman because they said that it was Ronnie Cray. That, but there was another story besides that, that the Freddie Mills, the boxing promoter, was uh, the necktie strangler. A lot of women were getting strangled and, and killed along around London. It was like, like, like the Yorkshire Ripper type of thing, but in English they called it the, the necktie strangler. And a lot of them said it was uh, Freddie Mills. Who, who was the next high strangler. And nobody got caught. No, there's been lots of... I've, I've been interviewed about it. It's quite an interesting story. It's something now... I, I, I like... I love journalism now. And it's something I maybe go back. I've got such a, a vast knowledge of things and a, and a photographic memory of growing up in that life. Something I'm fascinated with now. I love... I, I would like to do a lot more books, but help other people to do books. And obviously work with people co-writing those books because it's something I'm really, really interested in. So the movies always shows like the craze as being the top of the London they world. They they're doing the deal with the American mafia. What, no, what's no, the reality? No, no, I'll tell you the truth. And a lot of people would say all these stories about this one and that one. And I do know, this, I do know the real truth. It was a Liverpool guy and he was my dad's friend. His name was Scouse Norman Johnson. They called him Scouse. That was his nickname. His name was Norman Johnson. He's got a great book called Black Eyes and Blue Blood. I'll get you the book, Sean. I've got a signed copy indoors from Norman. He was the he was one of my dad's closest friends. He he went on to her millions and millions. He was a, a bodyguard for the Princess of Oman. She ended up having an affair with him, gave him jewellery and money like you couldn't believe. This is all like this was all in the newspapers. But Norman went over to America and a guy who knocked the craze for 60 grand back in the 60s was a guy called John Francis. He ended up going over and working with Russell Buffalino of the head of the five families in New York. And Russell Buffalino was working with my dad's friend Norman. And my dad used to go over and visit Russell Buffalino. Buffalino with Norman and Russell Buffalino there is a film Joe Pesky played him in The Irishman Wow! and obviously they was involved big time they say they weren't they were involved in big time heroin at the time heroin was fetching a, a print but they, in the films they say no they would never touch drugs it was it was heroin it goes back basically. to Lucky Luciano of course it, it does yeah. it was drugs and listen it's like Al Capone with prohibition they were supply and demand <laughs> heroin was a big thing in, in New York in the 70s and 80s and they was earning my dad said they used to come over with like sort of half a million pound in a suitcase one day they got a suitcase open there's half a million pound they it all my mum I remember he got home to my mum it's quite funny we lived in a place called Keston and it was like called the Beverly Hills of Kent if you were doing well you lived there we had a five-bedroom Tudor-style house. <laughs> and uh, I remember Lenny McLean dropped me off one day. We drove into the drive. We had a big, big, massive archway. And he went, fucking hell, your dad's doing good. And he went, fuck's he up to? And uh, he, my dad came home once from New York and uh, he had a suitcase. And I remember I was just getting up to school. I passed seven. I used to get the quarter to eight bus, the 146 to school in Hayes in Kent. And it, my dad had stacks of like $100 bills. And my mum started counting. She was straight. My mum was like, bang, she's the count. She's up counting on the bed. The dogs are, He's going, go do it. My dad went, oh, can't do me teach? Went, no, you go and do it. I'm counting. So I come over at school at four o'clock and my mum was still counting. So that shows, and these are hundred dollar notes. So, so was your mum the brain behind the brawl? She was, no, she was, she, she took care of the money, but she was also, she was like, she was the account, she was a bookkeeper by trade. So she, and she was like, she was, in, she used to work in the Playboy club in, in the sixties as well. Oh, she was you. a Playboy bunny. But she told me that obviously the Playboys was the first sort of female escorts. My mum said, look, I'm not proud of this. And I, obviously I'm not, saying things which are out of term because my mum my mum confided in me but it's a, it's my story and if it goes to film one day I've been offered a lot of people coming through to me now because of these podcasts and offering me the most fantastic I mean I've had uh, a big uh, soap 
on TV of of a mere part, a six-month opportunity. So just through doing those podcasts, you don't realise the opportunities what come through. But my mum, she said most of the Playboy bunnies were escorts who used to go back with rich businessmen. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was something sorted out financially with with the person at the club who their hostesses for that club and Victor Lowndes, who used to work for Hugh Hefner, was sort of he was like a pimp, so to speak. He would get the girls, but it was all because it was all so beautiful and in a desirable location. It wasn't like prostitution, but it was. It was they was all the bunny girls, but most of them were escorts who would go off with rich clients. So there's all these stories about the crazy sexuality. Do you know the truth? Yeah, yeah my, my dad said, my dad said, well, listen, it's everyone, I, I, you, you've got to be very careful what you say now, haven't you? But no, no, my dad said, listen, they were both a pair of the start, son. He said, listen, he said, they, they, that's what, my dad was old school, he, they, he didn't dress it up at how it was. But he said, that's how they were. He said, son, they work. He liked Reggie. He said, Ronnie, you couldn't trust, he said, because he was so dosed up on medication. He said, my dad took Mike Reed, the comedian, once to meet him. And they were sitting there and Mike Reed said something a bit silly and Ronnie went to glass him with a, like a little, uh, he was drinking brandy or whiskey what he was drinking and he went to glass uh, Mike Reed and my dad grabbed his wrist and Ronnie went, Jim, you're the only man who can, I'd let do that. And my dad said, well, but my dad said, son, I'm not bothered about him. I'd knock the two of them spark out. He said, but they would, he said, with Ronnie, I had to sit there and watch him all night long because he might take offence that way. Reggie would, you know where he stood and Charlie, he said, Charlie's just a con man. He's went, but he was lovely, Charlie. He was like, Charlie was just, the. He had unfortunate thing of being the older brother to them too, and he never quite lived up to what they were. But my dad fought a guy called uh, I got the cuttings in, in my dad's book coming out. Uh, Ronnie Cray got beat, and uh, Reggie Cray got beat by a guy called uh, Peter Heckman, a boxer. And my dad was it was during World War Two, so my dad was fighting this guy in the ABA finals and my dad beat him so bad in the first 50 seconds the referee stopped the fight and after that because he'd beat Ronnie and Reggie Ronnie came up to my dad and give him a bar of chocolate and I went to my dad so fucking what and my dad went, but you don't understand son this is World War 2 you couldn't get a bar of chocolate you could chocolate was on rations he said you go to the shop maybe get half a little square but Ronnie just give me a bar he said so that was our friendship he said so what we used to do they used to go on trains and they used to have like air guns but that was telling stories when they were kids which no one probably knows because no one knew them at that age but my dad said they to get like sherbet fizz and put it in a water bottle and, and drink that out of a glass bottle and that was like a fizzy drink he said but they used to go on the trains and fire their air guns at the tin signs he said it was and I said they're, they're fucking it was a bit boring isn't it? but that's, we don't say this when we were kids son, we didn't have what you had now he said you didn't have all this stuff but then obviously that was a lifelong friendship but my dad did say to me when it when I got older and every month the films were coming at me that I said to my dad and then Reggie would get hold of my dad's number and phone and my dad would then change his number like my dad didn't talk on the phone my dad said I can't have it around them son he said Look, all these people gravitate towards them. He said, he said, but son, he said, there's there's no value around them. He said, they're like a wing mirror on the conquer. Went, what do you mean a wing mirror on the conquer? He went, but son, you play conquers, you've got two conquers. He said, why would you have a wing mirror on it? There's absolutely no purpose of having a wing mirror on the conquer. He said, with them, there's no purpose. He said, son, there's no value around them. He said, he said, but listen, that's, that's their life. That's how they want to live it. But my dad was always saying, he said, son, they weren't what you would think. There was a lot of, there was a big gangster really in South London called Ronnie Olive who was Freddie Former mentions in his book, he was the quiet man. He was like the Russell Buffalino of the London underworld. He was a quiet man. He lived in Bermondsey. He lived in a council place all his life. But he was the main man. Forget all the other families. He was the main man. Bigger than Richardson, bigger than everyone. Ronnie Olive. And he had a brother who was deaf and dumb. His son got shot dead, Joey, by a driving school instructor. He was bullying the family. The guy went into a cafe in Mottingham in 2010, I believe, or 2009, walked in, shot him in the back of the head, laid the gun on the table, waiting for the police to come. But he was fed up with Joe, young Joey, 
bullying the family. Some some straight goers, it, it, it's enough's enough, isn't it? But no, Joey Ronnie Olive never spent a day in jail like my dad, but commanded the respect for like he died. At, I think he was eighty four, Ronnie, but he commanded respect for all the years he was actively involved in crime. Do you think people like your dad never spent a day in jail because the craze took the heat off them? I think my dad did say they used to like they used to love all that sort of glitz. But when my dad was my dad had straight businesses as well, so he had a security business which used to look after all the actors. So my dad looked after people like Tom Selleck, Richard Burton, Sophia Loren, uh, and, and big big stars like Frank Sinatra he used to call my dad LP. And I went, "What's that, Daddy?" But never puncher. But they always used to drink <laughs> LPR like Lauren Perry Rose. But we used to. I remember visiting Frank with my dad in uh, Coco Cabanas in 1985. It was Christmas, and we went over there on Concord, and we went over there, and it was like we went Christmas. Shopping, my mum and sister, and both had fur coats on. And we went uh, to Coco Cabana's mm. and we met Frank Sinatra and his son, Francis Jr. And then they started scrapping. The dad and the son used to have a, a horrendous relationship, you know, like really bad. He was like a sport little brat. He got kidnapped and everything, didn't he? So my dad ended up jumping in between them and then he ended up cutting the night short. And Frank ended up meeting us in Little Italy and we had something to eat. He came and picked the bill up. But he was a, he was a bit of a, he used to, he, 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 had, he, he was a bit of a, What's the word? You know, when someone's, he'd throw a tantrum, Frank. If they couldn't get their own way, they'd stamp their feet a little bit. And my dad said, he said, son, well, you've got to realise these people are so famous. They, they, if they can't get things their own way, they, they really have a little paddy. And it's like my dad was like a babysitter, really. But no, but meeting Frank was one of the biggest things for me as well. That's what I was going to ask, because you've met so many famous people. Well, Ray Winston yeah. used to come who, up the house. Who, who had you the most starstruck out of all of them? Do you know what I say? This is really funny. You probably <laughs> love this. The most starstruck out of all the stars. Remember, I've met everybody. Ray Winston. Really? Ray Winston had just done a film in 1985 with my dad called, uh, it was called Number One. It was based on and around South East London, Lewisham and Deptford. And Ray was one of the people in the film. He'd just done Scum and he was regular on Minder. Scum, he was yeah. regular on Minder with my dad because my dad used to be on Minder quite a lot because Dennis Waltman was a friend of his. And uh, yeah, I remember me, we was at the premiere and uh, in, in Leicester mm -hmm. Square, there was Paulie Yates because she was married to Bob. Bob Geldof played the snooker player in it. And we was there, there was a, Alfred Molina. Do you remember Alfred Molina? Molina he played the cop, dodgy copper in it. I'll get you the film shots. It's on the internet. Number one, it's called uh, by Bob Geldof's the main guy in it. But my dad's friend, Paul, Ach Paul, Paul Moriarty was in it. Phil Daniels, who was in Quadrophenia. There was Alison Steadman. There was a big, big, big star calls, but he, he and Jury for me and Jury at the Blockheads. Yeah, I love that. So he was in it because he had polio, didn't he? So he was like disabled in it. But and I used to think, why is he walking funny? But they went, no, he's, he's got a disability, son. But we was in the lift in the premiere and Paulie Yates was in it. She had really early armpits and she stunk my mum. Oh, for fuck's sake. She, like, was, she like one of those new age travellers, wasn't she? My mom went, fuck's sake, can someone get this? She stinks at B.O. And then Paul Yates looking at me, my mum, I went, Carol, Carol, calm down. She went, no, 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 I, don't, I can't be listening, all smelling all that shit. And, my, and then Bob Geldof is like, my dad said he was like, Bob Geldof, he was a bit strange as well. But no, I, we had so many funny things. Growing up as a kid, we would like, honestly, you, coming home from school would be like, I'd be walking home from school, like you'd look outside the house or, and it's to see whose cars were there. And you think, you go into the house, like one day there was Barbara Windsor and Charlie Cray there. And it was like, and Diana Dawes was a good friend of the family. She had done the cabaret at one of my dad's clubs in Bromley, the, the talk of the county. And it was like, as a kid, you'd think, it was like amazing to go home. And it was like mesmerising, really. I loved it. So you had such a crazy upbringing. Did you ever have moments of quiet? <laughs> we used to go on holiday, but my mum and dad were, they used to play a, a Jewish game called Kaluki. It's like they play 13 cards and they go down in sets of, uh, and, I, and as a kid, because my dad had gambling clubs, I've never gambled since, Sean. So really, that was a good thing. I've never, ever, I, go, I play roulette, but I go with a hundred dollars or a hundred quid wherever I am in, in the world and I'll do a hundred dollars. But normally I'm really good. I mean, I've got a friend whose name was Devilfish. He was a famous poker player from Hull and he was like, one of the, he won a million pound in the, the World Series in 99. 
And he died a few years ago. He was he used to love partying. He used to have to wear the dark glasses and have the knuckle duster rings with devil fish. And my uncle was a guy called Bob the Butcher. Bob couldn't hold his hands up. He couldn't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. But he looked the part and he was like, and one day Devilfish went, oh, you must know Bob the Butcher. I went, that's my uncle. His name's Bobby Clay. He went, oh, he's a dangerous man. I went, I went, I went my dad, oh, they went, fucking hell, Bob can't punch his way out of a fucking paper bag. Went, but Bob had like, to all these others had like made himself out to be like, he was saying he was my dad's business partner and all that, which he never was, but he was a good talker. But no, we, growing up, I've, we met some great people and I've got some fantastic friends now who I really, really love and, and they've really stood by me through thick and thin. And that's what it's about. So Charlie Cray then, what happened to him? Was he, did he get set up? Yeah, he got set up by the coppers. Funny enough, it, 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 all over 500 quid. This is what, my dad, we used to call him, my dad used to go, all Charlie wants is a monkey. Like you'd be out and he'd try and tap someone up for a monkey on the, on the you know I am like, he'd always like, might try and borrow a monkey and then he'd have a monkey and that was his night's drinking to give it Charlie Big Potatoes. And uh, no, Charlie was uh, with one of my friends, actually, Bobby Gould. Uh, they got nicked and uh, Ronnie Fields. They, it wasn't like it said. They said he was the biggest coke baron. They, they'd actually, I know the story because I was away with Bob. When he come off the unit in Belmarsh, I was in there in 97 with Harry Richardson, who later went on to be done for a murder, but he got not guilty. But Harry was lovely. He was, he was like big enforcer for a few South London families. And we was all on uh, House Block 4 in Belmarsh and there was the Brinks Mac guys, uh, Tony White, who got acquitted and there was a big Johnny Short who was Bernie, what's his name? The, the Bertie Smalls of Grass, who was, he was one of his, uh, who used to do the robberies with Bertie Smalls. And uh, we was all on there and Bobby said, he said, they'd actually bailed the gear off some people over in Surrey. To, to, so Charlie, but Charlie had told these coppers so many stories, it made him look like he was fucking, had direct links to the Columbian cartel, which oh. in, in fact wasn't. He'd spoken his way into that sentence. Mm. But because of the name, he was, it was like, it was cast iron. I mean, Bob only got, Bob, Bob got six years for passing the gear over, but it was, Bob said, it was me who went and got the gear on bail. He, he was the one who deserved it because of Charlie's name. He got the 11 and a half, what he mm. got. And it was like terrible. I mean, I saw Charlie in there before he went over to Parkhurst and Charlie went, oh, your dad, Jim, I'll... he said, I ain't seen you here like this. And you could just see he was in his 70s, Charlie, he looked really rough. He looked ill. It was horrible because Charlie was, Charlie had never had a pound over in his life. He was, he, he looked apart. He, he, he was, he was living out, his own little fantasy in life, and it, the the Cray name took him to to, to, to his grave. Mm. Even though your dad didn't do any jail, was he investigated? Yeah, lots of times he was investigated as uh, being involved in a lot of contract killings. But my dad was one of those people, Sean. He would drive his car in the day, and whatever car he had, he would take to a car cleaners, which you haven't really had. You didn't really have them, but he would go to a car cleaners. He'd always had a bottle of window leaning and, and, and kitchen. I went, Why are you going out? Carl, he said, oh, Sally, if your mates are in a car, I like to do, he said, because I don't want their fingerprints in a car. What do you mean? He said, well, I see a lot of people, son. So even then, Sean, he was a very clever man. He'd have his phone cards. He never used a mobile phone, never used a house phone. So I phoned him on a house phone. He said, oh yeah, I'll see you down the other place. I said, where's the other place? Daddy? He went, well, everyone knows where the other place is. That's where I go to snooker. They can meet me there. Or everyone would leave a message there and they tend to meet him over at his pub. He only used the Sultan pub in Lucian or the snooker in Lucian. And they, they know he could get him at either place. Mm. So he was very clever in that way. He would only use a payphone, the same, he never used the same payphone more than once. He would only use it, and he'd only use his phone cards. He used to change his cards regularly. He'd always win the ladies' windows. So if someone was in his car, he'd always like, and he was looking back. It, it, it was like he was cleaning his own evidence. Now you got all these idiots on mobile phones. Yeah, no, yeah. and he was very clever. And he, my dad had, he's, he's obviously through boxing, he was he was a legendary figure. So he had friends in Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, Scotland. He had friends all over. So it was, he, he would, it, he's, if people went to him, he was never involved. I know towards the end of his life, a lot of people wanted him to get involved in the drug game. I know in the 80s, they was they was quite heavily involved in in the cannabis. So, you know, like they'd have a few, where we lived in Keston, I didn't realise, we moved to a place called Keston, it's near Biggin Hill. And we was on the right, we was on the direct path to the uh, 
the, the, where the Bigginy Airport was. And a few times one day, went to me, son, we, we had about seven, eight acres next to our house. And one day he went, son, do you want to come and have a look? Because it was full of bushes. But son, I've got to look for Saint. He said, I think someone's left Saint here. And it was once someone had dropped it from a plane. And it was a big bundle of cannabis. And my dad had given me a load of it. And, my, and I was going to, and then that's when I thought of start getting into little bits and pieces. And my dad went, oh, son, well, what is it? It's son, the puff's nothing. They, they, they don't really do nothing. They only smoke that. They make some happy. He said, it's not like the other game and all that. But obviously, yeah, he was involved in the, in the pop game in the 80s. I think that's how a lot of the criminals got their big money in the 80s. Mm. And we did have a very excessive, lavish lifestyle, which obviously, I don't, obviously now, his same, his same life being investigated, he would have been nicked, guaranteed. Was there ever a time when it was close, like there was a crisis, he thought he was going to get sent down? Yeah, uh, when the Brighton bombing happened in the 80s, uh, my dad's friend, a guy called Brian Whitty, he died, funny enough, a few months ago, very close family friend. He was very big in Ireland. He was an Irish guy uh, from Dublin. But because of obviously the IRA being very big at that time, all the Irish people who moved away from Ireland had to support them. Uh, they had to throw back, you know, if they made lots of money over in England, they had to throw money to their cause. It was a well-known fact. A lot of places in Kilburn, they would have collection points on a Friday. I didn't know this. My dad was used to tell me the stories. They would have, to, they would have people turn up from the IRA on a Friday and you, they, these, these big businessmen or big Irish businessmen in London would have to contribute. Otherwise, they would be in serious consequences for their families back in Ireland. I didn't realise the consequences of this, Sean. And then obviously at the time the Brighton bombing happened, my dad's friend Brian Whitty had the plans and was doing the refurbishment there. So what happened was uh, the, 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 when the Brian bombing happened, my dad was actually uh, doing, he had a security firm which used to look after people, film stars. Just, just for the Americans then, so the Brighton bombing, what, what happened? So my dad got arrested for, it was terror, count terrorism. So they come through, my mum and dad's, we lived in Hayes in Kent at the time. We had a three bedroom uh, semi-detached house. My mum's went to let the dogs out, the Yorkies at the back door. Next thing you know, she's got four keys in ski masks with guns. She's let them in. They've gone right through the house and everything. And uh, my mum, they had a hiding place in the, in the thing, but they stood, stayed there all day long. My mum wasn't allowed to use the phone. Because my dad wasn't there, they couldn't, this is days before mobile phones. So they kept my mum, she wasn't allowed to use the phone. They had to wait. We and my sister weren't allowed to go to school. We had to wait all day long. And it was so... As a kid, you see this. This is why little things, I suppose, trigger off. My dad came home about half past eight that night. And then my mum went, my mum had managed somehow, they had a bag of money to put the money in the hiding place. And my dad's come straight, and all, and all my dad's phone books, put them in the hiding place, which was like, a, a, they had a special panel which moved in the kitchen. The police couldn't, went through the house and couldn't find it. When my dad's coming, he went, look, I'll show you how dodgy I am. I'll show you my hiding place. My mum's going, <laughs> you silly bastard. <laughs> but they didn't even want to know. But they'd obviously, they they'd obviously because it was such a high, obviously Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, just explain to the viewers, who who was bombing who and what happened? Uh, I don't particularly, it was, it was the IRA, was wasn't it? it was, but there was a. It was because it was a political. It was a conservative party there, wasn't it? It was Lord Tebbit, Lord Tebbit, and I know Margaret Thatcher was. They there. almost got Thatcher, didn't they? Yeah, they almost got. They was after Thatcher, wasn't they, to make yeah. a political uh, stance? But was obviously, the she was the Guildford. prime minister. At the time. She was the prime minister Guildford at the time. So, that's what you know. The Guildford Free Pigeon bombing was that around the same time. I think. I well, think there was a lot of stuff to Guildford do with yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, because yeah, of my right. dad's links with the underworld, etc., and bits and pieces, that was the closest I think that 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 had happened. Obviously, my dad, we did it. We see, we got raided five or six big raids we had at our houses, but nothing was ever taken. My dad was on bail for a bit of time. Nothing ever. I've never, never all fell apart. My dad would never say nothing. We had a great solicitor in the family called Paul Robinson at Goldcorns over in, well, he was at Woolworth Road at the time, but he went like, went on to Bromley. Nothing ever really stuck, really. So, because my dad was very, he was very, he wouldn't, he didn't put himself on offer like that. He was very, very clever at what he'd done. He, there was always, he, 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 other people would do things. He got to a stage in life where he didn't have to do anything. And how old were you at the first raid? Uh, when the Brighton Rob bombing happened, that would have been, I would have been about 13, 14. You're not scared? 
Yeah, of course he was, because my mum was screaming when she saw the men with the masks and they had all the machine guns, and we wasn't allowed to go to school. Like, my mum wasn't allowed to answer the phone, because they wanted, obviously, my dad to get worried and come, come straight back. So, but my dad didn't finish till half past eight that night, and he had a sank wrong with his back. He had a slip disc at the time, so he, mm. so he was ringing, ringing constantly to phone my mum, say, "Look, fucking, you know, it was I need to." He's, he was laying out of his car at one stage, but no, they they was sort of they were waiting for the, by the house, but my dad left at half four that morning, so they they was there at six o'clock. Normal typical typical police raiders normally at six o'clock in the morning. Mm. Well, it used to be, and they cornered off all the roads and then come through the house at six o'clock in the morning. But my mum was obviously she was just opening the back door to let the dogs out, and then obviously they they was stood there. Mm. So, so while he was on remand then how did that affect you no he wasn't on remand he was okay. on they remanded because they didn't have no evidence on him Sean but what they wanted to do because my dad was on the books as a security officer mm. but because of who my dad was they found it very hard that why this gangland legend was a security officer mm. working for an Irishman who contributed towards the IRA and had the uh, had the contract to to do the refurbishment on the on the Grand Hotel in Brighton and obviously at that time my dad's friend was uh, Georgie Walker who was he was a gangland minder for Billy Hill. He was also, he started Spud for, Spud, Spud for You in the 60s, earned loads of money and become a billionaire. Then he lost it all, went over to Russia and was working with some undesirables in Russia. And obviously with my dad's friends being these people in Brighton, and there was another guy, Nicholas Von Houtstruten, you know, the little slum landlord who, threw it, who was friends with Mugabe. It, they, you throw all these names into the mix and obviously the people my dad knew, it, it didn't look good. So obviously they wanted to speak to him and they considered him to be a big suspect at the time, but obviously he wasn't. And the, the Irish, my dad, my dad knew, he later went on to go to prison for taking a, giving uh, Muhammad Al-Fayed a backhander at Harrods. And then he got, he got, he, Brian Whitty's name was, he got, he, he had a business called Tandata in London and gave Muhammad Al-Fayed a backhander. Now he come on top, Muhammad Al-Fayed grasped him straight up and he got three and a half years. Wow. But my mum looked after his family and it was quite funny. He was so skint, he lost everything. But he had a picture in his house. He bought off an old cat burglar. They sent it to Sotheby's. The picture was worth nothing, but the frame was worth £32,000. But in the days, it was just a nice little like, story. But we knew, obviously, my dad was involved with Lord Bristol, the, 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 the Queen's, another relation of the Queen's. Mm. In so, what way? Uh, my dad's friend, a guy called Bruce Smith, he was his personal assistant. Well, he used to do everything for Lord Bristol. Lord Bristol wanted all his artworks stolen once, but they'd already, he'd already done it and, report, and, and, and claimed on the insurance. And the artworks they went for, they had an expert there. And he said, no, these have all been replicated anyway. So, <laughs> so it was like, and he was banned on the coke and the heroin. So they had people obviously doing what they was doing. But no, it's uh, Bruce has gave me some great antidotes and stories for my dad's book and told me some great stories. So, What about Charles Bronson? Uh, Charlie Bronson, I mean, I've, I've, I've stayed, I, Charlie Bronson wrote to me when I was in prison because he was away with my Uncle Fred. And obviously, when I was in uh, the Wolds up in uh, uh, near York, it's in, well, near Hull, it's in a place called Bruff, I was away with Charlie's best mate called uh, Jerry Johnson. He was called Jerry the Bearing. Charlie Bronson's got a book called Legends. And funny enough, one of my friends, he, he, he shot a guy, uh, Cliff Moody, he's from Newcastle. He wrote, he messaged me yesterday on Facebook and said, how are you going, legend? One legend to another. And it's quite funny, you know, like people you met, Sean, and it's, I would like to see Cliff because we had some funny times in prison together. But no, it's, uh, I've, Charlie is another one. Is I think he's, I think he hasn't done himself any favours. I think he will remain in prison. Think I think, I think, I, I think it's another political case. I think he's got so much notoriety. I think if they let, it's like when they let Reg out. If Reg was out for three days and he died at the townhouse in Norfolk. I went to see Reg there. I was, I was, I was close with Reg, but then Reg was a fantasist. He'd spent so long in jail, Jen. He was like, 
he, he used to phone up and go, Jim, I've got you a world title fight. I thought, Reg, I've not even had a single fight yet. And he's like, to, to promise me a world title fight. And my dad went, listen, he's a fucking, he's, he, he wants you up there to, and then when I went on the visit with him once, he went to his wife, uh, Roberta, he went, oh, can you go and get an ice cream? And he's like, touch me leg. And I was like, yeah, there was, it wasn't quite, it wasn't the touch of the leg, like, you know, like some guy like that, Sean. And then he went to me on the phone that night. He went, uh, I got back really late. Uh, funny enough, I was with the uh, page three girl, Debbie Ashby. She dropped me off. And uh, we got back and then he phoned it. He went, Jim, it's Reg. Because he was deaf in one ear. He went, he went can you uh, send me a picture of you in uh, some shorts? And I went, and I went, oh, what boxing shorts? And my cousin was listening on the run phone. He went, uh, have you got any of you in Speedos? I thought, oh, oh, fuck. So, so my cousin went, listen, he's a fucking, he's a fucking, he's after your ass." I went, oh, oh. fuck. So, and then a few weeks later, he phoned me. This was in 97. He went, Jim, can you meet a friend of mine in, in Victoria? Now, with the craze and the name, you think. So he phoned me. His phone, his phone card went, it was three units. He said, I've only got three units left. I was on a mobile. He went, hang on a minute, I'll get another. He said, I've got 10 more units. And he went, two seconds. He said, can you meet my mate in Victoria? He's waiting for you. A bit, a good bit of business for you. I went like that. So I've gone down to Victoria now thinking, I, I was two stops on the train from Bromley. As I got to Victoria, I'm looking around. I'm, I'm looking for someone like me dad in a trilby coat, flat nose, and like Crombie in a sort of trilby hat. And I've looked, and this is funny. He went, you, Jim? I went, yeah. He, went, he was like a kid. He was in like a tracksuit. He, like, he was hanging over the end of his trainers. with all holes and tears in it. And he went, oh, I'm Reggie's boyfriend. And I went, what, what? He went, yeah, I'm Paul Marcus. He, his real name was Paul Henry. And he was Reggie's boyfriend. And he went, he went Reg said, I can come and stay with you. I went, oh, two seconds, mate. Do you mind just stay now? I walked off. Phone Reg, Reg phoned back up because I couldn't phone him because he was on the, on the phone card in prison. I went, Reg, please, what are you phone? He went, oh, Jim, can he stay? I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> Put the phone down. I thought, and in the end, we made up a few weeks later, but Reg, that was him, I sort of, I listened to what my dad said. They just you they was out to use anyone they could, Sean, make themselves look good. They was getting the charity money when they then distributing it between themselves. There was no honor amongst thieves. Mm. Mm. And that's when I realized that everything my dad said was right. He said, son, there's no value around them. How did you meet Chet Sandu? <laughs> Shit. No, I met Shet through uh, Brian Charrington. Brian's a good friend. My Brian's dad got arrested, didn't he, with Curtis Warren years ago. Met Shet uh, at a rock star party. Yeah, Shet's a nice guy. He's great. And his book, Self Made Jews Paid. Sorry? Check it out. Check his book out, Self Made Jews Paid. Oh, is his new one out, yeah? Yeah. yeah of no, Shet's a nice guy. Yeah, no, we, no we've only been to a few parties and that, had a few good times. He's very eccentric. Yeah. He's great. Uh, no, but listen, it's like Blink. Blink. Blink's a very good friend of mine. I like Blink. Blink's a real good friend. And obviously, have you done one with Ray Hill yet? We've done one with Ray, yeah. We're going to do a second one. Well, well Ray, Ray was because I, I didn't mention Ray on my, on my first one because sometimes you do, you know, when you're going along. But Ray was one of my dad's enforcers in the eighties, in the early eighties. Ray, fought, my, Ray, Ray, my dad was Ray's boxing trainer, and obviously looked after Ray. But they'd done a lot of enforcer work for the Richardsons, yeah. But Ray was a good friend of my dad's mm. and a big enforcer for him. Still pack a punch, can't he? Seventy-four years old, still. Well, he was going to fight Lenny McLean. Anyone who's going to fight Lenny McLean <laughs> can, can have a, <laughs> got to have a fight, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. But I think my dad and Roy Shaw was uh, Roy Shaw was beating uh, Ray up in the ring one day and Ray was telling me the story he said and then my dad's gone stop it stop it stop it and then Roy Shaw's like had words with me dad and my dad went would you fucking want it and Roy's sort of back my dad was one of these people once he went he was the real deal that's why his book had to be called The Real Deal yeah when did you start writing that uh, I started writing it about a year ago but I've got what it is I've got all the paperwork there I've given a lot of stuff to Julie Julie's then we're going to incorporate it into like through someone else so a lot of my dad's friends would tell their stories and obviously we, we, we get factual stuff a lot of the boxing history and put it all together in a book but what I'm going to do Sean is donate all the proceeds to dementia really yeah, because my, I want, it cleans up my past it, clean, it lets people know I'm not a money grabber I don't need to I've got my own money and also I want to do my dad would have wanted to give something back 
and I know all the time he spent in the hospital in the in the in the nursing home is giving something back, and that dementia is something which is very close to my heart. And is it causing a lot of nostalgia? It, do you know what it is? When I hear people, I've got a lot of friends on Facebook. And you see people going through stuff with their parents with dementia. It's uh, it's, it's very upsetting because. I saw it tear my mum. I saw my, it killed my mum. It did. It was five years of, it was four years of misery for my mum. And then the last, the next five years, she missed my dad terribly. They used to sit indoors, have an Indian curry. They'd go out for nice meals, go on a holiday. And she was missing her soulmate. And they loved their dogs. And, they, and my dad was an animal lover. He loved dogs. And it was, I t- I've took all the best things from my mum and dad. And now I'm, I'm using them rightly and putting them in the right way. Amazing. Something else you give back. There's so many people out there struggling with drug problems. Do you, know you, had, you had a heavy drug problem. Even, even, do you know what I'm now, Sean? I, I had a, I, I, obviously, back in the day when I'd done it, I'd done it about yourself, but in the, in the early 90s, late 80s, it, it was clean. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was still bad because drugs is bad. I was it? doing the same white doves as you. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? No, 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 91, 91. They yeah. Was, you had half of them. You loved the world. You would fall in. You could, fall, you could sit there and you, you just loved. You, would, you could be put in with a, a firm of you hated. And it, it was a, really, it was worth, they should, they, should give, they should give those out on the national health because it would stop all this stop trouble. Stop all the Look all these fights now, yeah. yeah. But now the drugs, I believe, got so chemicalised. Yeah. And I believe the stuff, what they're putting in the drugs is sending people crazy. I mean, I, I take the old bit of coke. If I'm, if I'm out drinking, I might have a little pinch. Very, very rare, very far and few between. But it's just not the same for me. It's mm. I, my enjoyment is a nice bottle of wine, good food, and some sweets later at the end of the night. My you, got, you got proper sweet tooth, didn't you? Proper. <laughs> me, 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 me and my girlfriend, we went up to the, uh, Wakey Wines the other day. Have you seen it on TikTok? The guy, What's it he, he calls himself Wakey Wines. It's his, he sells these prime drinks at an extortionate price of like 30 odd quid and these cold candy. But we went up there the other day and he's caught us on video and he's put us all, it's got all, vi- it's got all viral everywhere. My girlfriend's went, thanks a lot for that. Fucking yeah. hell. It's like, <laughs> is she looking for it now? Like, Shout out. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to my page yeah so, so the people who are struggling with drug problems jimmy they're wondering how you managed to start what what do you know what so information you, could you give do them you know something i'd say own... go and get a nine to five job forget about these people who you're doing these drugs with go go don't don't be frightened to ask for help go and john you know it is it's about it's about i'm a big believer and you've got a, it's the people you hang around with sean if you hang around with five assholes you become the six arsehole <laughs> if you hang around with five millionaires hopefully you become the six millionaire but it's about it's like it's it's, it's, it's like it's being around the right people so for I, you when did it change from the glitz and the glamour to the dark side of drug use i think i was still used up until when my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and I still, I still went the odd night. But you know, I was around people. I fought with my friends, Sean, and they weren't my friends. They were using me because I was a good money getter. I would, I don't have to pay to go in a lot of places. I get, I get lapped up a lot where I go. And they know that's a, that's a, it, these aren't real people. Where my girlfriend's with me through thick and thin. She's if I have a bad day, she's there to she's there to pick me up. She's such a young girl, but she's 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 she. It's like me and my mum and dad have met again because my dad was with someone twenty years younger. <laughs> she is like she's she's the boss. She's she's the governor in our relationship, and, and, I, and did, I love it. How did you guys meet? How did we meet? We met yeah. in Mayfair a year ago on Saturday. We met at the Mayfair Hotel and we, we, she hated me. She hated me. I'd love to bring her in. She was up there. She'd go, she'd go like, she hated me. She hated me. But do you know what it is? We used to come over. She used to come over to me mum's and obviously I'd lost my mum. She was, she was so good for me. But obviously we'd go out partying and all that, but she's so grown up for her age. She was, she was, she was sort of run away from home when she was young. She's, she's fended for herself. She's right. She's hopefully going into the world of television now. She, she will be big. She's like young Anna Nicole, but a lot better looking. <laughs> Would you say, Jimmy, you're the happiest you've ever been in your life? The totally happiest, Sean. Do you know what it is? But Paige is down to that. Without Paige, if I dropped dead now, I'd say 
she's made my life. She's she's been the she's been the cherry on top of the the cake. She's oh. made me. Mm. She's made me want to change my life. I feel so. I want to help other people as well, Sean. Now, so for me, it's about. I love Paige to bits, and we've just got this great. I just want to be with her all the time. Is that melting your heart? <laughs> it's, it's a He's lovely, got an ice heart. It's a lovely <laughs> no, I know. I'm totally madly love her. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The love of a good woman. It's Definitely. like what my mum said. You know, it's, not, it's behind every good man is a great woman. It's more important Amen. than yeah. all that money Amen. and the drugs and everything else. No, it doesn't mean. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Money means nothing. When you're in love, because you work together as a team and it distributes itself. If mm. you work hard, my mum always said, you work hard, it comes to you. So tell, it, us, tell us about your, your journey on YouTube because. Liam Galvin is one of our cameramen. Yeah, yeah. Liam Galvin. I met Liam in uh, my girlfriend. She's going to laugh. I would love her to Paige. He loves to get her in. But she says to me, you look like fucking Harry Potter on that fucking interview. Because I, 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 I had like hair. She she's laughing. She said, you look like bloody Harry Potter. You look terrible. She went, you look so much better now. She was 20 years ago. And uh, no, so I've done that. Because obviously I've got extensive like knowledge of the other one. But how, how did you and Liam connect? Yeah. We, we connected through, uh, he was with... Uh, was it? it was on a Frankie Fraser programme he was doing. And I think he, he connected me through somebody and we met up the Clink Jail in London. In London. I've done the interview. But I wasn't really... I wasn't... Because my dad said, oh, you can't be doing interviews on telly and all that. Because this was when my dad was... My dad was never one about books. And then Tony Thompson, obviously, his introduction to get me sort of a bit famous was appearing in his book, which was called Gangs, A Journey Into the Heart of British Underworld. I, on page one, it's Jimmy Tippett Jr. opens the door. So that book, 2003 catapulted me into sort of that world. Then obviously my book done really, really well. I went on to, I've done a lot of uh, radio and obviously I've done the, with Livy Haydock uh, on Paul Massey on his uh, uh, podcast on the Salford, he's like a Salford legend. Yeah, we've done, we've done Paul Massey's audio, but his sister. Mm. Yeah, his I, was, sister, I was on yeah. his, I was on his, yeah. uh, I, uh, with Livy Haydock, I'd done his podcast, I was featured on that. And then obviously I went on to Liquid Bullets and obviously we got nearly a million views. So you're mates with the guy behind Liquid Bullets? No, do you know what it was? I know, I know they come from my area. I see. They, but what happened was- like, Yeah, the concrete jungle. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> Paul Stockton, Paul Stockton, who was one of my dad's fighters, he was featured on with them. And obviously then Paul said to me, oh, you should, you should do a podcast, Jim, you're a good talker, you should do it. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And I saw everyone else, he's like, Ray all said to me, Jim, do a podcast, you'll come across really good. And then obviously, then they got hold of me a few weeks ago. I was suffering really bad with COVID. First time I've ever had COVID. During COVID lockdown, I was out partying every weekend. I was fucking enjoying myself everywhere. And I, and I actually had it really, really bad. And then he said, oh, look, I'm coming up to see you up north. And he came up and we, got, we, and we cracked on. And obviously my friend, dude, Luke, he's put a few on the, his channel on the TikTok. And they like nearly a million views. And it's mm. like, now I've had people, I've had film directors, film producers, all coming out of woodwork, all wanting, to, all, all wanting to put me in things. Would you say going on YouTube and TikTok is steering your life in a new direction? Totally. I believe social media, if you use it rightly, Sean, it, it, it's the best thing out there. 100%. But you've got to use it. Right. And obviously, you're going to get bad comments. But then I said to somebody else, if someone can spend three or four minutes to write a bad comment, you've obviously, you, that's, that's, that, you've done something right. Because if they, <laughs> I think the word, it's like with Dave Courtney, you see a lot of bad comments with Dave. But I think that's, if someone's got that, time to write that comment you're doing something right and yep. it's all of those bad comments if they're watching the trolls that send Dave's videos viral because all YouTube exactly. looks at is engagement it doesn't care if it's bad of course or it good. does yeah that's right yeah so the trolls just fuel the views for Dave of course that's good then yeah, yeah. I'm starting to enjoy the trolls now no, do you know what it is? I don't, I don't read the comments because someone said to me, don't bother reading no. the comments. Because you know what I'm saying, Sean? If they, they, you're always going to have haters, but they have, look, I just got to keep carrying on doing what I'm doing. If I if I make my girlfriend smile at the end of the day, we enjoy good food. It's all about being able to eat a good dinner at the end of the day. If you have a good food and you put your head down at night, 
that you, you, you got through the day, haven't you? So you're hoping to get a film out? I've, I've been offered a few bits and pieces. I'm not me personally on my film, with my dad's film. They, they, they basically want to do a film on my dad. We've had a lot of... My dad's friend was a guy called John Daly. I don't know if you remember John Daly. Mm. He was a famous boxing bo- boxing manager. He, he uh, invested money in uh, The Rumble in the Jungle with... Uh, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. Mm. He put the money up. He also put the money up for Casper the Ghost and he was a film producer and platoon. So he was, his family were really, really big in Hollywood. They, but they, he was with Richard Hemmings. Is it Richard Hemmings? The famous film director. So they done Hemdale Film Production Company. But then he, John Daly died of a heart attack quite a few years ago. Uh, in, so what happened was the family, he's got, he's got sons and daughters. They've all now got a big studio in California. So Donald Sutherland, my dad's friend, has always said there should always be a film out with your dad because he knows stories about my dad which can be told in time. I'll maybe come back, Sean, and we'll go through these mm-hmm. but on a different subject. But no, there's a lot of stories out there which people will, I can, without implicating my parents now, can come out because they're both, they've both been a few years dead now. My mum's been dead a year. My dad's been dead like six years. And there's a lot of stories which they don't want to do a film with my dad. So obviously me being a son, we'll, we'll put that together. So we've heard all these exciting stories, Jimmy. What's your average day in your life like now? Uh, well, Paige, it's all about Paige. Whenever we arrive, we, 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 we go out for lovely meals. We've been in London all weekend. We went to Winter Wonderland. Oh, we went shopping. Good. She got her Christian Louboutins. She's, she's a self-made girl herself. She's got her own money. And uh, we went out to Gordon Ramsay's yesterday with uh, a friend of ours who's, who played, uh, he was, he's a lead guitarist in a group called The Business. His friend Gary Bushell has got to obviously paid her TV part as a glamorous assistant. So no, we're just enjoying life and making the most of it. And you like Very living good. in the north. I, I, no, I do you know what it was. Pages in London, so now I'm now I'm back to London. I'm realising there's no good no, there's no good restaurants in the north. In, <laughs> where, I, like where I am, you've got in Manchester Leeds, you haven't got that yeah. many. <laughs> where in London, you you're just spoilt for choice. And where sometimes when she's out with her friends, she goes, oh, she sent me. She's been in that new one in Mayfield with all the David Hurst uh, statues. She sent the other day. She went, oh, she was out, and I went, oh. and then you realise that there's there's so much more in London. So you're moving back. Sorry, you're moving back. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. I want to buy a house. Oh, well, I don't want to say over here. But I'm buying a house in a beautiful part of the north, which is, well, I could say it's near York and it's a beautiful place. I want to, that's where I want my, our, our main residence to be. And obviously, stay for London work purposes. I've been offered a potential job in a soap on telly with a six month uh, contract. So I've just, that's pending another screen test and uh, contracts. But no, that's looking uh, good. But it's two days a week in. Uh, Elstree Studios. Is it, is it quite a well-known soap? We yeah, very well-known soap. Yeah, I yeah. think I know what Yeah, but I can't see the NDA, so I can't. But obviously, the I can accent, say that much. I can figure yeah, so no, that's, that's, really. that, there's a part, there's a good There's a good part there. It's not It's not the best part. My girlfriend and a few friends have said, oh, you want to be careful taking a part. But then I've, I, I, it's something I would like to go in that direction. I want to, I will take every opportunity if it's straight and you get paid a, a legitimate pound note at the end of the day, I'm willing to take it. Go for it. How come you yeah. settled in Leeds? Because that's where your court cases and your no, alleged No, I had a lot of friends. Yeah, I had a lot of friends there, and I thought no, I like it up there. And uh, but do you know what it is now? But I'm spending more time in London now, mm. so I've got my residence there. But it's I'm I don't I'm a bit bored there, Sean. I don't go drinking. I go if I go out, I go drinking in London. I love London, but now pages as. Pulling me back to London. There's so. a lot more action in the south, isn't it? That's why I moved. Yeah, no, yeah, London's lovely. Yeah. Surrey's lovely as well. I mean, I've, I've been all over Surrey, East Show, and I lived in Brighton. Brighton was fun. Yeah. But then obviously, I, I there was a few people there, absolute wrongans there, who who set me up. Really. There was a guy called Gareth. Yeah, horrible bastard he was. He was a barber. who was an ex-criminal, but he he grasped this other guy called Buster. Who they set me up. 
basically on this robbery, which didn't happen. But they they, they gave the police the information to get what they'd done. Basically, they got a guy to do a statement to get me recalled to jail to get me stabbed up in the jail. But when stabbed I up in the jail. No, so what happened was Sean. Yeah, when they when they grasped me, so this buster got got the guy called Eric because it's on the paperwork. I'm not saying anything out of out of school he grasped me done a statement to say I went into the club with a handgun held it to his head with a big black guy and took 60,000 out of the safe but we had been involved in some business which the police knew about we'd been pictured in Hatton Garden on a certain couple of occasions where bags were swapped over no drugs but there was there was, there was something gone on the police knew that but I, obviously I can't disclose that but obviously, then they'd done a statement to say that I robbed the club on the 27th of November. But I was with a friend called Paul Anderson, who's a big property developer and a very well-known businessman in the north of England. He went round when I got arrested and got all the statements from the people we'd been with, done a statement himself, all the CCTV, so the police dropped the robbery charge. But this Gareth had notified to somebody to tell the police that I was in York on that night. So they, they, they then cell-sighted my phone there. They knew where I was staying through Gareth. So he was a dirty little grass. I mean, me and Paige split up about uh, three months ago. We'd had a bit of a to-do. I'd done something silly and we split up for a few weeks. He tried to message her and say all sorts of shit and tried to get into her. Absolute vile creature. Sure, he's the sort of person who go out and pick up an half-empty bottle of beer rather than buy one himself. You know, absolute, absolute dregs of society. But these are the mugs I had around me, Sean. So now I I only have good people in my life now. But obviously, then I, I went back to prison for four months, but then I got a not guilty, come out on parole, served the rest of my sentence. And you said they tried so, to stab you up in there? No, they tried to. What, so, by what they done, because so, Brighton yeah. was local to them, yeah. they tried to get me in Lewis Jail to then pay some smackers to do me up. So, when I got mm. in there, Sean, I knew this was going to go on. So, I stayed down the block. I stayed down mm. and I said, Look, I want to be moved out. I, I, I refused to be moved onto location. They went to me, What do you mean? So, I had to sit in front of the governor for a nicking. And I said, Listen, you, you, you must know what's going on. And the governor's like, No, no, you got I said, No, but I'll tell you what, I'm refusing using a move move me out of this jail move me out of this jail you can move me out of this jail they moved me to Rochester so I got moved to Rochester jail uh, but then they were still trying to do things but I'm a clever enough guy Sean I know what I, prison is like once you've got it's, it's a horrible horrible place and there it, two, it, sorry they were still trying to do things still what? trying to send fi- uh, things to put money up for me in Rochester but when I got out when I got yeah, put a hit on me that, but, but when I got out Jen I went back to Brighton on my own with a pair of gloves on, which were put walk round, made myself I logged logged in on every one of the places they used to go, and they was never seen. Then the police contacted me to say that they was prosecuting them for uh, what's the word uh, when you uh, conspiracy, which uh, uh, no, pervert the, the course of justice. They said, "Oh, we need you to do a statement." I said, "I'm not doing a statement." They said, "What do you mean?" I went. They said, "But well, then they're going to get off of it scot free." I said, "Well, you got their phones. You've, you've downloaded their phones. You know what they was doing." I said, "But I'm not going to be the same person as them." I said, "I'm better than that." I said, "Why would I help you? You knew that I was nowhere on that robbery, but you 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 were smirking at me. You took my Rolex off me. You took my ring off me because you know I was under process. You know I was under like process of crime." I said, "You you didn't help me out. So why would I want to help you?" He said, "But they put you in jail." I said, "No, you put me in jail with their help." I said, "So." <laughs> Why would I? Why would I help you with them to put them in jail? I said. I said. Listen. I'd, he said. Well, if you go down. So when I went to Brighton, this buster had contacted the police to say I was looking for him, and he was in fear of his life. So that where he lived on the marina, they went and put cameras up for me. So when I was going to Brighton, so so these, these, these people, they're not. They're not hard. They're not nothing. I, I was going down Brighton regularly. I went down with Paige one day. I'm not frightened of these people. And I, I if if push comes to shove, I'll do what I've got to do. But and when it turns around on them, they always go running to the police. Of course they do, Sean. So this is when I realised how powerful my name. Is. And, then, and I've got a lot of powerful friends around me who, who people don't know about who are still connected to my dad's legacy. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend of mine in Essex who's very powerful, connected to every gangster family throughout the UK. And I, know, I have meetings with him regularly. And I know that if there's a problem, I make a phone call, it's dealt with. He's, he sits down for the major family 
major families in the UK, and I know that I'm his, one of his favourite boys, and he and he's and he looks up to my dad still. Good. So is it so? But I don't want to go down that route, Sean. I'm happy to do at a straight pound note, tell my stories, and go forward in life. And hopefully, you get that part on the soap. If I get that, do you know what it is? I've, I've literally it has been offered to me. I'm, I'm into, I've got to go back this week and I'm involved in a Netflix uh, documentary as well with my family, which I'm meeting the producers on Friday. So it's a really exciting, all through these podcasts. It's it, all kicking it, you would not believe, Sean, what, what comes through to you. It opens a door, doesn't it? And just you don't know who's going to come through that but door. I've, I've got film producers, Netflix, I've, and it's like where I live is a Netflix producer, there's brain surgeons. It's a, I'm meeting people all the time. <laughs> and obviously I go up to Media City a lot. I've got friends. A friend of mine is a, the, the main producer for Coronation Street up there. The and all my friends are, are actors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, and obviously now I'm 51 and I'm, I'm, I'm my, my confidence is booming. And I wasn't like this in my 20s. And now I feel this will be the right time for me to go into television or to do something. I would love to go into journalism as well. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the viewers watching this, Jimmy? No, I've had a great time, Sean. I, I feel <laughs> it's nice. Very, uh, <laughs> it's a euphoric moment, isn't it? It's, it, it brings nice. It's gone like that, hasn't it? You no, know, and it's no, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. No, it's oh, nice. Yeah. This is my favourite one so far. Oh, oh thank no, you. No, I mean it. No, 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 yeah. no, because no, you, you've let me talk, but you've also guided me on a few things, yeah. You're so That's high good. energy and you're so riveting. And thank you. We're just on the edge of it. I mean, it's been almost two hours. Bloody hell, It seems like, it seems like. Paul Bellucci's like, I love it. So, so, if you've got questions for Jimmy then please put them down in the comments let us know what you thought about this podcast so the viewers Jimmy they quite often like to reach out to you on your socials where yeah, are you I'm, on your I'm socials on, I'm, on tic, I'm on TikTok Instagram and Facebook uh, I can be contacted that way so. all are just under your name are they? all under my name yeah yeah I think on TikTok it's official Jimmy Tippett uh, it's official Jimmy Tippett on uh, Instagram and Jimmy Tippett on uh, Facebook so you get all, like people contacting you yeah, no, touch. people can contact Yeah, anyone can contact me. I'm happy to accept a message from anybody. Cool. So all of Jimmy's links will be in the description box below this video. Put questions for him in the comments. If we are, you know, if Jimmy feels like coming back and answering your questions, we will be honoured and privileged for him to do so. But we hope you've enjoyed this as much as us. Thanks Thank very much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. 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 Cheers.